Okay, we're back. Uh, we've got a new beer. This is uh, interesting. My brother signed me up for a, one of those beer subscription things, and I get yeah, a box this. every month. And it's just the it's just the best, Mario. Because the stuff is like not stuff that's widely available in stores. It's all interesting. It just comes to the door. I don't have to do anything. And twelve beers just show up at my house. Now, are they all from the same brewery? Or are they like from several? They're all breweries? from different breweries. They're usually like a region or a theme. So got this it. month was summer. Last month was Colorado. The month before that was like Chicago and stuff. I want to say that's 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 a Great Lakes state, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. But it was yeah, good. Chicago's here to Great Lakes state. No, no. But um, so this is from this is again this is in the summer box. It's New Glory Craft Brewery. It's from Sacramento, California. It's called their Citra Dream. It's a hazy IPA. Ooh. Um, it's it from Sacramento. You said Sacramento. It's a six point eight. So, anything, so anything, bad. any wording? There's like a paragraph here. Uh, a hazy IPA. Uh, simply, we gotta change the lights, the overhead lights in here, like the stage lights. Call, call my goddamn producer. Yeah, we got it. He's yeah. seventy floors down. He's starting to um, bore us, so we don't have to. Do well, that. there, there goes our Spotify. No, he was. He's being these guys. They know who pays the bills. We gotta go with Stitcher now. <laughs> the Stitcher pay people. I don't know. Um, we're on Stitcher. We're just not like a Stitcher exclusive. We're getting off topic. Um, it's, it's California, which makes me think it may be a California style IPA. Okay, utilizing a flavorful blend of Thomas Fawcett Pearl, rolled oats, and flaked wheat. We charge this brew during the boil, the whirlpool fermentation, Ooh, and secondary dry hop. So we're going to get... So chard would make me think it's going to be super malty. Let's see. Is that or no? That looks, that looks like a West Coast IPA, though. It's very hazy. Is it? No, it's not super hazy. I think that's a little clearer. You think so? Yeah. Look at that. You can, oh, you can see through that, man. Oh, yeah, you can. Mostly. Oh, it's it's got a little haze. It's not like... It's not crazy clear. Yeah, you can kill that up. Oh, this, this smells like a West Coast... This is how IPA should taste. Yeah, it's good. This is a, a solid, not too hoppy, just drinkable West Coast IPA. You know what I like about the West Coast IPA? And I may have said this in the podcast before. They taste good? They taste good, but it's because the, the hops taste... Sure? Fr- yeah, yeah. The hops taste fruity. So it's not like that super hoppy flavor. It's like whatever they do to it like has this kind of like really bouncy kind of flavor to it without fruit it's a it's a you know ba- I mean? it's a berry it's a berry fruitness versus like a stone fruity kind of like yes. so berry to me like a berry fruitness kind of like pops mm. and then it kind of goes away right yes very like, a, well like a blackberry or yep. strawberry whereas a new england style apa has like a lot of stone fruits so like that suckling yes peach or mango that kind of like will stay there like it's messy and all over and, and the flavor sticks yeah, right I think that's really good um this is like and i guess the one sort of like citrus food is like a pineapple like a pineapple is a west coast ip or a berry i guess a pineapple is technically a berry isn't it mm. i think i remember that um yeah no i like this because it's, it's it's not hoppy but it's, it is fruity yeah it's good tasty all right i think our first two movies on our list mario are also could be considered tasty yeah I mean, to a, to a degree. Yeah. I mean, there's, a, there's some tastiness in the first part of, of my film. Yeah. People are tasting yeah. things. Yeah. And for fun. 
I guess maybe I maybe I should start, right? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah let's, let's do it. My first film, my my number five so far of the year, mm-hmm. um, is Ty West's 2022 slasher film X. Assuming you don't have clips, you're not going to do clips, right? No clips. Uh, it's a lot of clips, so I probably won't do clips. Okay. Uh, yeah. So basically, this group of people in Texas go out to film a porno at a farmhouse that they've kind of rented a um, cabin at on, on the farmstead. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they film that porno successfully. Uh, the elderly couple who owns the home, um, Pearl, is uh, kind of going through things with aging in the yeah. sense that, you know, she, she has lost uh, the feeling of, of desirability. Um, her husband, um, RJ, I believe. Not RJ, no, no, it's uh, Howard. Howard, it's Howard, yeah. Howard, RJ is the first victim. Um, can't really have sex with her anymore because of his heart condition. He, he seems like he wants to. He seems, he seems like he kind of, he seems like they've been married a long time, so he's kind of like cantankerous. Yeah, he could do he it. He cares about his, he cares about Pearl. But like he's, his heart isn't, isn't in it anymore. But she still has a sexual desirability, and that's the reason why she's a crazy serial killer. Is because she's kidnapping people who kind of come onto the property to make them into sex slaves and eventually fucks them to death almost. Something. Yeah, I guess I guess something so. to him. Um, and uh, she has now has eyes for Maxine, uh, played by Mia Goth. Pearl, also played by Mia Goth. Mm. Um, and Mia Goth, who I usually don't like. Uh, I, I thought she was fine in... Um, Highlight? Suspiria. And Suspiria. And Suspiria. Yeah. She's been on a, good, a pretty good run. She's a good run, but she's usually not like a... She's usually not the show-off mm. in the film. Like, she's doing the, all the work kind of here. Uh, yeah. I, I think this... The, the reason this film's here is because technically it's such a sound, solid slasher movie. It is like this real big love letter to 1970s um, exploitative kind of like horror you know, you, you get your last house on the left. You get Alice doesn't live here anymore. You get your, um, you get your te- especially your Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You get all of that kind of like done to a solid degree. I know there's a shot where, where Maxine like first goes out into like the pond, which has all the crocodiles. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Snow do- or Brittany Snow doesn't love that. <laughs> um, and, and the camera pans out and Ty West later did like an ask me anything. And the question I asked is like, I feel like this is an homage to a certain movie. And he's like, no, it wasn't. It's was just like, I was just like going for, the, he just literally said like, it, just, it felt like, his answer to me was like, it felt like what a movies of that time would do. Mm. And that's like what this movie does. Yeah. But what it does also really well is what Ty West, for me, is like excelled at is like spending time with your leads and like building a relationship with them mm-hmm. before killing them off. You know, he did this with Innkeepers, which isn't necessarily a slasher, but he did it with House of the Devil. He especially did it with, like, my favorite of his in the sacrament of, like, you spend a lot of time with your leads, you build up a relationship, you build interest with them, and then you kill them off. Yeah. And the first 40 minutes of this movie, like, nothing. Like, you get, you know, your your wraparound um, kind of beginning where you see the denouement of after everything's done. But the first 40 minutes of this movie is just, like, with your them filming a porno them doing their own thing. You get that like really fun Fleetwood Mac scene. And also like 
makes you feel sad for Pearl. Like mm. when they, when uh, Brittany Snow, and I love that scene, like where she's doing, um, I can't remember the Fleetwood Mac song off the top of my head. Um, landslide? Landslide. When she's doing Landslide and it's like, has you have that 50-50 shot with Pearl kind of like cleaning herself up. Like I love that. Because it's mm. like building a humanity for your killer, which is going to be completely lost when she becomes a monster. Um, but also like making you care about these characters and making you feel like they're weird sort of, int- you know, things basically like RJ being jealous about, um, Lorraine wanting to shoot a scene and everything. Mm-hmm. I, I think it just does an extremely good job of that. And then it has that turn where it becomes the slasher and it just goes full born into the slasher. This movie has by far my favorite kill in a slasher film. Which one ever. is that? It's the opening. It's it's RJ's kill. Mm. Um, Which he just like stabs his head off. Yeah, basically. And you get that really solid like Tyre Bates, Chelsea Wolf score, um, Headlights, the song. It's kind of on my short list right now for, for stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get to like chant as she's just stabbing him in the throat. And it's only illuminated by the headlights of the car. The car gets covered. The headlights get covered in the blood. <clears throat> so and like, she just yeah. keeps stabbing him and stabbing him. So it becomes like a the red kind of like Argento style stylistic coloration. Eventually mm-hmm. fucking decapitates the guy by stabbing him. Um, and it just, it just goes from this kind of like character driven people making a porno movie to a full blooded balls to the walls slasher film that you like feel upset when people are dying. Like usually, uh, you know, Brittany Snow and Pitch Perfect don't really care about what she's doing. But like Brittany Snow here, I'm like, yeah, I get it. Does Brittany Snow Cuddy... get killed in Pitch Perfect? No. <laughs> <laughs> but like Kid Cuddy, usually don't think he's a good, that good of an actor. Here, I think he's doing he's the doing work job, he needs yeah. to do. I think everyone's doing the work. Um, and that's the thing. I, I like like when people are dying. It's it's the issue that that Scream Five had for me. It's the fact that it's just like it's just paint by numbers. People are doing things. The only character you care about that is Jenny Ortega because I think Jenny Ortega is probably like the pinnacle of like the horror actresses right now. She also had the fallout earlier, which doesn't make my list, but is great. Um, yeah, I didn't see Scream, but she's very good here. Yeah. Uh, like everyone's doing the work here. Everything's working here. I, it's just a really solid genre slasher. And it just shows how much of a control like Ty West has. I think Ty West is probably the best younger horror director we have right now. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's. Uh, that's a safe. Um, that would be a safe bet if you were putting money on something like that. If like they're gonna, you know, rank them or whatever. Um, the movie looks fantastic. It feels good. Um, my only, like, the thing that I pushed up against is like some of the script stuff. Not like the lines per se, but just kind of like the narrative of like this undesirable old woman. Like, and everything's because of her like desire to be desirable. I also had the misfortune of listening to a Ty West interview oh, on the big picture where he was talking about like the sequel to this. Oh, the parole prequel. And I was yeah. just like, I, I don't fucking don't, care about like that, any yeah. of this stuff. Um, it seems like he just wanted to work more with Mia Goff. And so he just like, I think this he, movie. Yeah. And I, the way he talked about it was like a COVID thing. It, he like busted it out like really fast because like they, they were like, do you have anything else? And he's like, I have this idea that he like enacted. You know, the, you realize the idea and like I just kind of did it. And A24 is like, we have this weird Daniels movie where it's going to make a ton of money. Just have yeah, some Yeah, just more. do whatever. And X made not... <laughs> like 15 million. It was, which, it was enough. It was like a $3 million yeah, movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it got good reviews and stuff like that. I think all that stuff aside, um, I thought it looked and felt great. 
like like almost like he's like opening I, I think like the opening shot's so much fun when you open you have the barn doors blacking out the screen so you think it's gonna be like a four three ratio yeah. and then you push in like that's so well then because so cool. that then attaches to the end where it like switches to the four three ratio yeah exactly as the film gets this kind of like meta quality about it and that's another thing that I kind of like didn't love was like that the end where I was like it looks like a fucked up horror movie oh like, yeah I thought I was like it was it was thing. one line I was like joke. whatever right and. That, I think that's the other thing that, like, after the fact, I was like, oh, was that, so, I thought I missed something, because I was like, oh, I was wondering if this movie's supposed to be funnier than it is. Um, it's, it's supposed to be funny in the beginning, and then, like, it gets very unfunny. But again, I quickly. thought it was, I, like, there was stuff that I was kind of ready to dislike, and I was just kind of like, no, it's good. And every time they make someone in a movie say, like, I want to shoot real cinema, like, they never show, like, they're shooting real cinema, like, in Boogie Nights. Yeah. Like, whatever Burt Reynolds' character was doing in that, um, I forget his, I don't know why I can't remember his name right now, but I can't remember, and it doesn't matter. Like, whenever they showed it, I was like, you know this isn't real. You've seen a movie, right? They don't look like this. Like, yeah. this isn't real sense. And it feels like RJ's, like, trying. It is, and here. it seems like he's, like, legitimately succeeding. So, I think that's the thing that I liked about this movie, is that, like, even the Britney Snow character is not an idiot. Yeah. Even, even um, the guy, uh, what's his name, Wayne? Wayne, yeah. Even he's like... Which is Martin Henderson, who always like... Martin Henderson... He always has like a soft spot for well, Martin we Henderson are, and stuff. We are unfortunately Grey's Anatomy people in our house, and he's a, he's like a regular on Grey's Anatomy. Got it. Um, another Australian guy, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, even he's not a bad guy. New Zealand. Oh, okay. Tomato, tomato. Um, White people are all the same. Yeah, yeah. He's not a, he's not a bad guy. Kid Cuddy's character, I think, is actually a Marine. Like yeah, so there's all these tropes. I think that and so and I, like all this, all like he's the one having sex with everyone, but he's having like pretty gentle, like consensual stuff, and, and like he, being yeah, a, being a nice overall dude. Yep, and, and like when Pearl is lost, he's like the first one to be like, "Oh, let me help you find." It's find really, her. it's really interesting how they subtly kind of subvert. He subtly kind of subvert some of those standard issue horror tropes. Yeah, like because these people are not. Um, Body bags. Degenerates. They're not meat bags. Yeah. Right. They are. Um, they don't. Fleshed they don't. Des- they don't necessarily no. deserve this. Yeah. Um, and that's interesting. That stuff is interesting. More interesting to me than the killers could have been like kind of anonymous and had like their own reasons. We uh, for me, we spent a little too much time with Pearl. Yeah, I liked. I liked it because like it, it builds up that sympathy for and like yeah. humanizes like a like a. A villain and like that's a big thing of like some of those exploitive kind of horror movies early on you build up a sympathy for like Leatherface in his position you build up a sympathy for like the the killers and like burning some of those ones yeah, like yeah, last yeah. house on the left no I think you're right but, um I get it um yeah maybe you spend a little too much time but like I I didn't have a problem with that well I think the only reason I think I if I had a problem with it it was just because I enjoyed spending so much time with the group and I was actually kind of like as the drama deepened like when like when Lorraine wanted to shoot a scene and that's another I'm going to give Ty, Ty West a high five for this as well um I was like oh this is getting like good and then like they start killing people yeah like you know I, what I mean like, I remember like watching it going like man I kind of want to like just watch these people make a porno well and so that's <laughs> and the best part for me and, and I, like deal with like RJ being yeah, upset about Lorraine absolutely. making a porno and I guess my last thing I'll say is that I love the idea that I love the fact that we didn't see um, Lorraine naked because yeah. that made for me um, a lot of affection for Ty West's sensibility in that moment because he wasn't doing something exploitative 
like the nudity in it was like relevant, I guess, to position and to the job they were doing and to like whatever they were doing. But he wasn't just kind of like, I'm contractually obligated to show all of these women, like A24 is requiring me to show everybody in here naked. They should have showed Kid Cudi's penis, like not in a shadow, but that's just nice. to make it fair. That's fun though, but yeah. Yeah. I, I go assume Kid Cudi was probably like, no. I have to assume that they weren't going to get an I also R. assume that was a prosthetic also. Oh, no, it's, it's not. A, it's not. But that's another thing, too, really quickly before we move on. Makeup effects in this. Good. Top tier. Yep. Like the makeup effects on Pearl. I do love the fact that the one bad makeup effect is what I hope continues for the rest of the year. When Pearl's head, spoilers, when Pearl gets run over and her head explodes, it looks just as goofy as the uh, drilling of, um, I forgot his actor's name, in Crimes of the Future. Uh, the, the power bar guy. Uh, Oh, uh, Scott Speedman. Yeah, Scott Speedman's the drilling of the head looks goofy. Mm-hmm. The yeah. driving over the head looks goofy. I really hope the rest of this year, throughout horror, just has goofy looking head destructions. I really want a, a deep dive into the Fulci yeah. sort of scenario. Or now, you know, Dario Argento's, you know, a thing again. Yeah. We'll get there. Um, like his stuff too. Like just just weird, bad looking head destructions. Let's get or- Tom Savini back. Let's 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 <laughs> you know what? Let's make Maniac. Again, yeah, a third Reboot time. Maniac. We got Toxic Avenger coming out. There's gonna be some really bad looking. Hit- Are you interested in that? Oh, absolutely. Think it's gonna be good. Yeah, it's uh, making Blair directing it. Yeah, I don't know. So it's it's you got your Jeremy Solinay connection, I but know. I think making Blair's a probably a yeah, more know. rounded. Director. I hope they're. I hope they don't just Ghostbusters Afterlife it, which is like the. I don't think so. Remember, like, just the idea that people were making a movie about the nostalgia they felt for the do movie. Do people have nostalgia for Toxic Avenger? I think they, people could convince themselves that they do. I mean, if they did, they wouldn't have casted, you know, Peter, Peter Dinklage, Dinklage yeah. as um, Toxie. So. I don't know. My favorite kills were the shotguns stuff. Like, when he shoots Lorraine off oh, the porch. Yeah. I was like, that's great. And then when she, you know, tries to shoot Max, and she just flies into the thing, and then she runs her over it. That was fantastic. Again, Kid Scott- Cudi's kill is a little... Kid Cudi and Brittany, and Bobby, Brittany Snow's kill was a little disappointing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a lot to see. But that's, that's me as the gore guy. The, the dead no, they did, they, did, uh, they did enough. Um, I was happy I didn't see it because I liked those characters, but like, I was also like, I kind of I also don't it. know if I need the, like, the TV preacher to be talking about Maxine. Yeah, that's whatever. That stuff. But again, I think he was thinking, digging into the past of the character, and I'm just kind of like, boo. But no, I love about that though too. Like the TV, the preacher, the TV preacher thing happens, and Maxine's driving off. What's the first thing she does? Snorts some more coke. Yeah, I love that. I was like, yeah, fuck you, TV preacher dad. She's still Maxine. Yeah. Um, does anyone? No one does any coke in my number five, but they do do some. They do do a thing called drops. Oh right. And that is uh, because my number five is the Matt Reeves, uh, two hour and forty minute The Batman. Um, in case you didn't know, this is another big, big cultural moment this year. It made a ton of money. It it's the third highest grossing movie of the year? Third yeah. highest grossing, yeah. Yeah, behind yeah, uh, Dr. Strange, Strange and Top Gun. Um, you know, it's Batman. We're two years into the Batman experience. Uh, Bruce Wayne's parents are dead. Um, he's living with Andy Serkis in, uh, uh, you know, Wayne Tower in a Gotham hellscape. And, and he is vengeance. Um, and then... A gentleman known as only as the Riddler 
starts killing off some of Gotham's politicians and Batman is implicated in it. Uh, you got some Zoe Kravitz just murdering movies with uh, as the Catwoman. Um, Did you see Kimmy yet? No. Like, I fell asleep on Kimmy, but no. I, I was, yeah, I, I wanted to see Kimmy because of uh, this. She's, she's fucking excellent. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, Jeffrey Wright is uh, perfectly cast as uh, Commissioner Gordon. Um, other people are good. Colin Farrell is weirdly cast as a penguin, considering you don't know works. that it's him. He's doing like a De Niro impression. Yeah, a couple of times, um, especially after like the amazing car chase scene when they get him like up against the wall. He's apparently, like, hey, he's, apparently yeah. he's trying to do a John Cazeal. Well, he failed. Yeah, because it just looks like De Niro. Because they made him look like Robert De Niro. Um, Nick DeTuro plays Falcone. Um, you know, his common names and stuff. Um, Paul Dano does a thing as the Riddler, and we'll talk about that a little bit. I, Mario, we, you had threatened to tell me your top five records of the year after we're done with this. And I, uh, I said I had only really listened to one record, a new record that like I connected with and meant anything to me, and that is Spoon's Lose for on Sofa. And I think the one reason it connected with me is because it's a vibes record. It is typical Spoon. The lyrics are mean whatever. The melodies are, are solid. Um, the, the musicianship, um, since they've ditched all their keyboard nonsense, is, is, is simple and, and rough and, and, and uh, great. It's like clean amps turned up like all the way to it's get got, like a buzz. It's kind of like a little Queens of the Stone Age kind of. But it's that, not like, as compressed. So no, it's Queens not. Queens of the Stone Age is, is... I'm talking like rated R, Queens of the Stone Sure, Age. but Queens of the Stone... And I'm, I'm right we on can't board get off, We can't get off on this because I right. was talking but, too long. So what I'm saying but is... I love Lucifer on the Stone It's not it's, in my top five. It's a, it's a vibe. It's in my top ten. This movie, when I watch this movie, is a vibe movie. It's I love the vibe that Matt Reeves and Pattinson as Batman, which I did forget to mention, have created with this. It's very tactile. It feels real. I was kind of like on the fence until the car chase. And then I was like, they're doing this. Like they did this because there's no other reason to shoot this movie. Let's shoot this scene like they shot it. Unless Colin Farrell was driving a car down a street, like, you know, enclosed, whatever, um, you know, with fire around him and stuff like that. And it, this movie feels fucking great. I really enjoyed most of it. Um, the reason it's my number five, and will definitely, as the year goes by, unless this is the worst year ever for movies, probably not be on my list, is the last 40 minutes of this movie are fucking garbage. Um, but did I tell you that was my opinion of this, too? Yeah, okay. and I didn't even need to know it because it is straight hot trash. And I, I'm even going to give it... A, we're going to talk about some stuff, and I'm going to, like give like another opinion of one of the reasons I like it so much is that I think it's really, I think there's, there's a subtext to this movie of like the world. It's one of the things that I don't like about Top Gun is that there's no subtext to anything. Top Gun exists in no universe. It exists in the movie, exists in a universe where Top Gun happened. Some, some stuff, whatever needed to happen to get Top Gun Maverick happened, happened. And then Top Gun Maverick happened. This movie has like a, exists in its own universe where there was like a beginning and, and time just goes. It's a continuous thing, which is a feeling that you don't get in a lot of, definitely not in a lot of franchise movies, but not in a lot of movies in general that make it seem like 
this world is kind of constantly churning. Yeah. We're dropped in for a moment and then it's going to continue to, it's going to continue to churn. Um, but the, uh, the Paul Dano is stinks in this movie. I, 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 when he's doing the no, 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 no. I'm just like, that's, that's okay. right there. Cause that's just, that's the, that's the payoff thing. It would have been cool. Actually. If we never saw him as Paul Dano until he was having a conversation with Joker. We'll go back to that. The idea that, and I don't even mean like politically or culturally or whatever, it's just dumb. The idea that all of a sudden this movie that's very small, that's dealing with like the intimacy of killing a person like face to face, you know what I mean? Even if it's like in a car and you duct taping their head or whatever, all that other stuff. Um, all of a sudden he's going to blow up a seawall and he's going to flood a whole city and people are going to instantly want to take refuge in Madison Square Garden and then there's going to be people shooting people like in the rafters of Madison Square Garden, like 10 people. And then the idea that like the people that are in the flooded Madison Square Garden, which didn't get as flooded as I think he it probably should have been to be a real problem, are just going to be like, oh, I guess people are shooting us and we're not going to do anything. The infrastructure of the city will be so broken that no one's going to stop like a mass killing and a thing um, is lazy. Like it's very, it's like a very, very, very lazy ending. Yeah, I think narratively, feels, culturally, I'm sure it doesn't it doesn't hold up either. But that's what bugged me. It feels like studio interference, doesn't it? It's fucking it, terrible. It has to be right. Like it feels like. But why? I, mean, I, I don't know. I, because because it's not big. This movie's not big. And so they and requested like a right. Uh, yeah. Like like so that that penguin chase scene, great. <sighs> But like so that's good. that's big. Yeah. But it's like there's a bunch of shit going on. There's a bunch of shit exploding. Like that feels like your set piece. And there's traffic. Yeah. It's a no, set that's piece I mean. with traffic. Yeah. So it's but it real. Feels like, it feels like that's your that's your big moment. And then like you know when you everything is small because everything in the first two hours of this movie is small. You get like the scene with Peter Sarsgaard has like a bigness to it with the eventual like kind of explosion. But it's, but it's awesome. Like, it's, it's intimate. It's intimate. Yeah. But. Big. big, yeah, for sure. Um, but then, like, after, you know, Falcone gets killed, um, and the movie keeps going with, like, the seawall, it suddenly narratively doesn't work because Nashton, like, Riddler, has had a very focused, very targeted thing. Like, yep. obviously, narratively, him targeting Wayne doesn't make any goddamn sense because that doesn't follow what this character's doing. But everyone he's been targeting besides that Makes perfect sense because of this fun thing. Mm-hmm. Him then blowing up a seawall to do this doesn't make any sense. Zero sense. Like end the movie. He end the movie with them discovering his like little videotape to other people, and that's the inspiration for the rogue gallery. Mm. Like do that or something. Like do anything. Right. Like like. But but when they, they blow up the seawall, I'm just like, I was like, like what? Out. Yeah, because I it that first two hours of the film move for me so oh, fucking yeah. quickly. Like everything's working because it's so interpersonal because mm. everyone has some sort of relationship with everyone else, you know. Yeah, it's so feelings heavy. Yeah. Like like it's 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 you know it's it's Batman with right and the fact that like this is the first Batman we're getting who's like working with the police openly and like walking around. But then they still hate him. Yeah, which makes sense. Like sure. that, this one dude who has like a somewhat position of power is like, no, we're no, gonna let no, this gonna weirdo let this guy, yeah. walk around. Um. You know, and then, like, the, the kind of, like, turmoil between him and um, Alfred and then his relationship with Catwoman, like, Kyle, guy, yeah. which is the literally the best thing in this movie for me. So good. Like, the fa- like 
I was just waiting for them to fuck. Like I was Their like, chemistry if this, if is unbelievable. Is like, if this is like the porno version of this, and like Zoe Kravitz and Robert Pattinson, I can just like make out for like an hour. I'll, I'll watch it and be like, this is good cinema. He's, this is good cinema. I mean, they're both perfectly cast. Yeah, and they couldn't have known that when they cast Pattinson. You know, what I mean, they were just probably hoping for the best that he would bring some like level of weirdness. But the emo like Batman shit is garbage. Well, he yeah, is it, fucking great. It shouldn't work, but like it ends up working yeah. because of the fact that like he's so beaten up and he's so fucking. He's not even being emo. He's just exhausted. He's just depressed. Depressed, he's depressed. and exhausted. Yeah, absolutely. Because he's not sleeping. He's getting, he's getting hurt, and he's just constantly. And he feels and he feels like shit in his mind. Yeah, and he's not doing the Bruce Wayne thing, which is fun to have. Like somebody like just be like, "Fuck being Bruce Wayne. I'm just a rich oh, guy." I loved it. Um, and then so like when he finally like, has a reason to exist with Selena Kyle being like, "Oh wait a second, like, I'm a, I could suddenly be okay with my parents like being dead." Mm-hmm. Like that's interesting to be like this person's also broken because of you know you also get the greatness between her relationship with uh with Falcone because yeah. like. Her interactions with Taturo, like Taturo, like Falcone's so fucking hateable here. Like he's like the, oh yeah the arch villain of this film. Um, that the second he dies, like that's that's a problem. With this 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 movie has acts a first act, second act leading into that climax where she's going to kill Falcone, but instead Nashton, you know, Riddler kills Falcone. There's and then all of a sudden like maybe it's Batman's realization of we're two sides of the same coin, so, or yeah, two sides of the Something, same coin. Yeah, yeah. So I can't be with this woman who possibly has potential of being a real human. I'm stuck here. Mm. Perfect ending. Yeah. We end it there, and all of a sudden he sees the videotape of Riddler talking to the people and being like, oh shit, now the world's coming on me. We have a denouement scene where, you know, Barry Kugan doing whatever he's doing. I have thoughts about that, yeah. It's fine ish. I saw the deleted scene of him as a joke. I, saw that I too, yeah. don't want him doing that. Like, the scene in the film, well, do that, but yeah. not what he does um, in that deleted scene. Like, that's fine. Then we move on. Like, a two-hour, five-minute long. This, to me, best goddamn comic book movie ever made. Probably. But then, I mean, excluding graphic novel movies. But then it has a seawall thing, and I'm like, this is bullshit. It doesn't follow logically. It doesn't it's follow narratively. Total nonsense. It's just made to be big. And mm-hmm. yeah, that catwalk, that catwalk fight scene looks cool as shit the adrenaline thing like that part is awesome in yeah. the sense of like it's well made by itself yeah all this is like Matt Reeves knows how to direct the shit out of a scene it just makes no sense it just doesn't make any sense for the narrative there's no reason for it to be there it's so controlled that's why I, I I didn't look it up but it just feels like it was it was a request because everything in this movie feels so tight feels so controlled and all of a sudden it's just like more move another movie I just can't but, so he must have if that's the case he must have just said yes to it because he didn't want to relinquish control of the whole thing to the studio yeah um so he wanted to maintain some kind of like personal touch onto it because if he gave them one thing if you gave them one thing he was gonna you know have to give them everything um my only so one of the things i like about this movie too um is so you mentioned the joker thing before i think there's like a hidden depth here again that goes back to like something that the joker was trying to do in the stupid todd phillips um walking phoenix thing like the guy that says He's so everyone's just kind of like, does he need the Joker? And they're all like, no, he doesn't need the Joker. I think he does need the Joker because the guys that he beats up at the beginning of the movie are still have like Joker face paint on. You know what I mean? Like the big wide mouths and like dark well, it's, eyes. It's like skeleton. Face it's like paint. skeleton, but it could be. It could be. Like, we don't really see him. 
Like, he's all messed up, but it's Joker-esque. You know what I mean? It's clown-esque. It's got, like, the very Jokery things that he usually yeah. does. Um, these same guys then become Riddler people, and then they're, the Riddler thinks that him and the Batman are on the same side, and one of the Riddler people says, was one of those Joker guys in the beginning, and I'm calling them Joker guys, and he says the line that Batman says to him. So it's kind of like Riddler, Joker, Batman. It's this idea that Gotham is so damaged and kind of like... Um, their collect their their collective the collective self of Gotham is so corrupted that like um, it just will latch on to anything that like shows kind of that shows like a power. Well, yeah, um, and I think that stuff is really. I would love for the movie. Was well, I have, think? Sorry, no, no. no I'll, go ahead. What were you saying? I think it's like ultimately into a court of owls thing, right? Right, exactly, and I think that was what you're describing is. That is, for a movie like this, that idea is enough to carry, like, a theme. It did not need to do... It could have stayed psychological. It could have stayed Fincher-esque. It didn't need to devolve into, like, a Christopher Nolan movie. It just didn't need to do it. I got got more Polanski feelings than Fincher for some reason. It's it's the darkness and, like, the procedural stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but they just they just didn't need to do it. No. They didn't need to redo like the Dark Knight Rises like football stadium scene in a basketball stadium. Yeah, and those because because like the Nolan movies are big, right? Like they're they're always big, and they've always were big. But they're also stereotypical in a lot of ways. Yeah, because but this, this Bruce movie... Wayne even in Dark Knight is a play like has multiple scenes where he's like, <laughs> I'm Bruce Wayne. Yeah, this yeah exactly. And this movie had the potential of being different, and it just kind of like blows it by yeah. that last act. Which is, I, I don't think blows, I don't think it ruins it, but I just think it's like... I really enjoy the movie. It's just not a thing that's gonna, it doesn't land like it should. It doesn't land as hard as it could land if it had, if it had nailed yeah, it. Yeah, I think, I think if it had nailed it, if it had nailed it, it probably would be my three. Mm. But because of the extra 40 minutes, it's my six right now. Yeah, I just, I still kind of have like some... My number three is the one I think and does a lot of like energy and kinetic stuff, stuff yeah, and yeah. lands it, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, they just felt so good that those first two hours, like, yeah, I was like, ooh, this, this is good. Um, my number four, because we're gonna snake it, is the op- is the oh, opposite of the Batman in every way. It's the Catwoman. The Catwoman, yeah. The um, remake that it is uh, Celine's uh, Siama's follow up to Portrait of a Lady on Fire, uh, Petite Maman. You know what's interesting about that, Tom? Before we talk about snaking, my number four is Celine Siama's. Although, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is Petite Maman. See, we, um, we did we, not... Without, without even, like, planning it, as you can see, really quickly, I have not touched it. It is you number did it. four. You huh? did it. Um, there is... Uh, Marion is uh, eight? Eight? Yeah. Um, her grandmother has died. Her mother and her father are going to... Uh, Empty her house. Nellie. Nellie, by the way. Marion's the... Nellie. Marion's the... Marion's the, the mother. Um, right, and they're, they're sisters, right? Yes. Twins. The actresses are. Yeah. This is, this is weird. I told you. Yeah, it's not I told bad, you. Um, they're going to empty the house. She wakes up one morning and her mom isn't there. She's having a tough time with like the death of her mother and kind of like being in the old house again and stuff. Um... Nellie goes out to the woods to play, and she's a little girl. And that little girl has the same name as her mom. She meets a little girl. 
Meets a little girl. She said she is she's a little girl. A fort. She is definitely a little she's girl. De- yeah, she is a little girl. Um, the girl's making a fort, which her mom had mentioned. She uh, actually goes out Nelly to look for to the, look for the fort. Yeah. Um, and she finds a girl with the same name as her mom, whose mother has the same name as Nellie's grandmother, and who, when they go back to their house, is the same house that they are trying to clean out, but is full of stuff. Has the same wallpaper that you see the back of the wallpaper. They painted over everything except yeah. for what was behind the fridge, and it's all, la- all very good. Lazy grandma, come on. Well, it's painting over wallpaper, too. It's yeah, like, she's, she's also good. You can do what you got to think, but... Yeah. Um, we spend a total of 70 minutes with these two people, yep. 69 minutes, something like that. 70, it's 72 minutes. Overall. 72, so you yeah. spend like 65 minutes. Um, and it is a movie that these two girls, they eventually, again, it's, it's, uh, it's, um, a beautiful little movie, but Celine Siama is not fucking scared of anything. So. Of course, these girls have a conversation about the fact that, like, one of them is their mother, um, and one of them is, like, that girl's daughter from the future. I also love how, like, that's just immediately accepted. Yeah. Like, that's so smart to just be like, yeah, okay. And, I buy it. Well, and that's... Also, because, like, little kids would just do that. Sure. And they would be... In, in, but they're intrigued about the idea, but they're also asking the right questions and talking about it the right way, so it sounds like kids. Um, Celine Siama... I think is probably going to become one of the the signature filmmakers of the next like 15 20 years I would become. imagine. I think it's I think Portrait I mean, of Lady obviously on, speaking to me. But Portrait of Lady on Fire was like one thing. This is a different animal altogether. Yeah. Um, but like the second you prove yourself twice with like two movies like this No, like, but like oh okay. Right. Portrait of Lady on Fire is is like is literally on fire and this is like some kind of she made like a, a des- she made like a design on like in grass and like set it ablaze and it's like this really controlled like intricate like thing that she's created. It feels like a blanket to me. It feels it's it's no, warm just, and comfortable. I guess and, so. It's but the emotions are but, so deep and they're but they're like expressed in a, such a restrained way. Mm. These people are feeling so deeply. Um, it's really intense. But they just have these conversations about love and death and like what it means to like have a parent and like rely on somebody and to like come from someplace um and it's not like overly specific like there's no plot here per se it's, they're it's, just kind of like so... getting to know each other the thing it's a mom getting to know her daughter when the mom is the same age as the daughter yeah and you I, know I, what I mean it's, yeah. which is bizarre to say out loud but when you watch it you're just like oh like it all makes like it makes perfect sense in the way that Siama has constructed this little fantasy, this little fable. And it's what makes it great in, in constructing it with like two eight-year-olds. It's, it's so matter-of-fact. Yep. And that's what I love about this. It's like everything is so matter-of-fact. It's presented through the lens of a child. Like it's so hard often to make a story where it's a connection to believability of children. Um, when Marion kind of asks like, how old am I? When my mom basically mm-hmm. dies, yeah, and she tells her, and it was like thirty-one, yeah, and and Gabrielle uh, Sands kind of does this like thing of like thinking about it, like it, I, and I don't know if it's like purposeful or if it's like the way like because I, I don't want to discredit an eight-year-old actress's ability, but like at the same time, I couldn't have done that when I'm eight, um, so she's probably smarter than me. <laughs> but there's like this like moment of like, is that a lot of time? 
Yeah. Yeah. I can't. I can't think of that's a lot. Of I'm time. eight. She's thirty-one. Like what is that's what is forever? Those, you know, right? yeah. what are those years. But mean? Like, there's like the second. There's like a framing of like a second of like. Okay, I'm okay with that, right? Um, and there's a lot of that in this movie of just like, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Like when you know Marianne says she wants to be an actress and whatnot, and like Nellie kind of being like, oh. So I held you back from that. And like mm. then like them comforting each other and everything. And that's what just so works about this is like presenting it through the eyes of a child. Um, like I fucking started bawling at the beginning of this with that long shot where she's just like going to each room, say goodbye. And I don't know why, but I just started crying from mm. that. Oh, I started fucking... crying when she was they were in the car after that and like she was feeding her the snacks. Yeah, no, and I, then I she was... gave her a drink of the juice box, and then she gave her a fucking hug. Yeah, by the way, I didn't stop. I, I, when I said I started crying, I meant I didn't stop crying until I got... I, I'm not kidding. Yeah, like, I, I believe was you. I crying the entire time. Until, like, like, not like sobbing, but I was just like weeping from there until like they got to the house. Um, and then she says later, like, I wish I could have said like... I wish I could have known it was like the last goodbye to grandma. And she says like goodbye matter-of-factly later. But like the way Santa has written it and, and directs it is like, oh, she knows this time. Like she, she, it's the yeah. same, it's the same goodbye. It's the same kid saying goodbye, but like what that means for the kid. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like a story about the living dealing with death. It's about mourning for the living, right? Yeah. Um, it's about mourning for the, it's about mourning. It's about mourning somebody with the idea that you're going to live, you're going to live for a while. And I think that's like as someone who has like experienced like a ton of this shit recently, I think it's one of the it seems to be the hardest thing for everybody is that like you just kind of assume I think that like you're next. Like once this person's gone, like you're gonna be gone too, and you're like, no, I'm not. Yeah. Like it's the idea that they narrow down the years. That's the thing that one of the things that got me is that like they like pegged the amount of time that she had left. And she's like, is that a lot of time? Or is that not a lot of time? Or is that just life? Which is also just, this should also be framed too, like in the, in the fact of that next being dead next sort of thing. Like this movie is framed with Marion about ready to be getting a surgery to kind of like prevent the illness that her mom mom died, would eventually die young because her mom assumes dying at like 58, 50, 60-ish, like young. Her mom's dying young. Well, because she said that she had her young. Yeah. um, In the movie. Yeah. And the whole thing is presented very naturalistically. Um, like some some um, score like accentuates these moments, but not a ton. Most of the action takes place like with you know natural sounds. Um, I love. The, yeah, well, the, that's that's the thing. That's like Celine Cinema always has like at least it feels now she like has like no song, no music, and then the, the song. That, right. Like, yeah. Everything circles around. Um, this is like what song of the future, or whatever. That when they go to the pyramid. Like oh that's yeah, 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 that's that's fantastic. <laughs> well, I love the idea. I that have my little Spotify playlist for songs of films. For oh, good. To keep me. Um, keep it in my head. I love that. You know, on the idea of the Batman climax versus this climax, it's like those two girls. Like they get a little more time together. They hang they out take for a, a birthday. They, yeah. they have a birthday. They take a boat out to like that little pyramid thing. Um, and they look around and like that's the end. And then she says goodbye, and like that's the sequence. It's nothing major, but it contains um a depth of emotion that like most films like aspire to. Like to have even like a tenth of a 
of like what this movie has, what this movie accomplishes in like seventy minutes is kind of like remarkable. What I, a, a minor thing I also love in this movie, which is, to me, says like cinema's control, of writing and. I uh, could bring. Oh, the know, writing like, is incredible. The writing is incredible, and I think she's just an incredible, also writer. Um, I mean, I could mer- mention *Lace Olympi- Olympiads*, which is like eleven in my list of the year because it's it's pretty minor, but it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But like this cinema thing, kind of like the naturalism of its characters, kind of like mm-hmm. flows throughout that. I kind of told you off air um, about like *Paris* thirteen district *Lace Olympiads* versus *Worst Person in the World*. One doesn't feel like real millennials. The other one does feel like real millennials. Yeah. The thing I love is like your induction to the father is like him forgetting about the fort and like the mother in that moment of vulnerability kind of being ruined by it. Mm-hmm. Like being like, how could you, like basically how could you forget? Yeah. And you kind of think like, oh, the father's going to be a dipshit and an asshole. And then immediately like the rest of the movie's like, no, he's just, he forgot this thing. He has his flaws. Every, all these people have, like the mother and the father have the flaws because of like this moment in time. But like, everyone's built up. You know, like, mm-hmm. this is what I love about this movie is, like, everyone, you know, there is, just like, portrayed on fire, to a degree, like, there's really no antagonist. It's kind of just, like, no, the no, world no. and the circumstances yeah. of what are happening here. It's just the naturalist perspective. But then, yeah, you can argue that the, the you know, um, the the mom's feelings about, like, what um, Hillary's is supposed to be doing in portrayed on fire... It's just what she. It's just what yeah. you do, and what she's forced to do it by sucks, it's, it's. But it's what it happens. I mean, it's, it's man versus environment. Yeah. Right. Like the, all these, uh, the last two movies from cinema are man versus environment, man versus uh, patriarchy in Frenchman male controlled cinema and Portrait of Lady on Fire, man versus death in yeah and man versus like understanding gen, like generations in this mm-hmm. and um yeah it's it's such for for dealing with such a heavy topic I remember going into this going like oh this is gonna be ruinous and it's not it's super it feels uplifting. good yeah it's super it's it's a really nice way of approaching death but just like in the end like their mother their grand you know nelly's grandmother marion's mother lives on through them that mm-hmm. and that's nice to kind of like do that right i agree so it's a, it's a oh a pleasant call, it. Movie. call it all right what's your number we're snaking so what's your number three well my number three is also a nice little soft naturalistic you know, calm, happy-going sort of movie. Takes place a little bit in Scandinavia and then goes to Iceland, you know? Uh, this was one of my most anticipated films of the year. This is about number five, I think, on my list. Uh-huh. Uh, and it worked out for me. Uh, and I'm interested to hear your opinion. It is Robert Eggers' The Northman. Um, I would say, like, I guess most people have seen this movie, but it did not do well. It did but not do well. You know, it's Alexander Skarsgård playing Amleth. His father is murdered by his uncle, uh, and he seeks vengeance. I will avenge you, father. I will rescue your mother, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that's the movie. It's Hamlet. You know, it's, it's Amleth is what Hamlet is based on. Um, talked in the past. I, 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 as I watched The Witch and Lighthouse several times afterwards, mm-hmm. I love The Witch now. Mm-hmm. Like I could see a world in which the witch makes my top hundred now. Hmm. Uh, Lighthouse, I I just don't don't like as I see it more and more, and so I kind of went in this lukewarm, hoping for the best. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, this works in so many ways for me because I, I, 
inst almost instantaneously accepts its premise in the sense of, I don't want to say toxic masculinity, because that's not right, but it accepts, like, this is 12th, or this is 9th century, or, yeah, 9th century. Mm -hmm. 8th century? 9th century? It's 1895, so, like, 9th, 10th century um, Viking lore, mm -hmm. and so we're just doing it, and, like, it just does it. It goes full on, and it is so energetic and constantly moving and when it slows down it slows down to do some like weird sort of metaphysical viking shit which is also so much fun um i've only seen this movie twice so far but like both times i've watched it, i've just been like this i'm just i i, I don't know really explain it i'm just cabs what i feel that the people that love all the marvel movies have mm experiences like i had with this huh. like i was just kind of watching like yeah i was literally watching it. this movie like like in the theater kind of like nodding my head like this is fucking badass mm -hmm. it's it's gory there's this there's there's a scene in this which i almost felt was like robert eggers answer to be like ari asker's an asshole where uh the two uh friends get chopped up and made into a horse Yes, on I, the wall, uh, and I, I watched that scene going like, "Is this Arya? Is this Robert Eggers going like Arya Aster? Like, I fucking can do what you want to do better." We both had the same. We both thought the same thing about like a different part. Oh, okay. Um, and it's just it. It's so energetic. I think everybody's operating at such a high level. Nicole Kidman's not been my one of my favorite actresses for a while, but here she just leans into spoilers. Being like a really solid villain, mm. like when she's just humiliating, kind of. Well, not uh, even like Hamlet. a villain. She's just kind of like, "Fuck you." Yeah, like yeah, exactly. you don't fucking know. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Like, sorry, your farting father, Ethan Hawke. Yeah, you don't like, know shit. shit. Yeah, absolutely. And this guy like actually treats me well. <laughs> yeah, we live in a weird farm. We got all these. Slaves. We live in a. Weird, yeah, weird farm, but like things seem to be going okay. And like, but once again, and it's like, and that's the thing, it's like interesting. It's like there's like this, it, it does present itself of just like this is how life is at this time. And I don't know, I, it's 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 hard to justify like why I love it so, but it's just like, okay, cool. Like it, it leaves its pretension at the door, right? It just goes like, this is not a modern movie, like, like this is not a modern movie in terms of sensibility. This is not a modern movie in terms of, like, what I'm trying to do narratively. I'm just trying to, like, retell whatever fucked up sort of, like, philosophy or culture existed then with a completely straight face. All the folklore, all the theology of the time, I'm gonna just going to dig right into it mm -hmm. and just do it. Right. So my feeling about this movie is, is not, like, dissimilar to yours, but I remember having a conversation about The Lighthouse. Because I really like The Lighthouse. And because it seemed to me to be like this weird aesthetic achievement where nothing was even trying to be accomplished except for like making this movie like this. And I was kind of like, cool. I don't, I don't know why I'm watching this movie though. Like he's not giving me like a, there's no story. It's the just Lighthouse or The Lighthouse. Okay. And there's like nothing happening here. It's just this. And like it's, what this is, is... I liked better than The Witch, even though I liked most of The Witch until, like, like the ending of The Witch. The Black Phillips stuff? Or? Yeah, and I was just kind of like, well, that sucks. Because I was... Agreed. I, I could have... 
until the voice. I think it's performances carry. Until like, the voice had a hand, I was all in. And then as soon as that hand showed up, I was like, "Go fuck yourself." Um, Agreed. I think just like the first hour and forty minutes of which worked so well, for so me good, that I, like, so good that I'm willing to forgive. For sure, like, it's stumbling in twenty minutes. Um, the lighthouse, I think, was is weirder because the whole movie is just like it's like Black Phillip for the whole thing, just like craziness. And you I, get that mermaid in like the first. Get the mermaid. You minutes. get like the ending is you don't even know what's happening at the ending. He's just in the lighthouse and like the lights on and he's like going crazy and like the sound like is going crazy. Like, squid at some point, yeah. Whatever. I felt kind of the same way when I was watching this, where I was like, "This is cool." Why? Why are we doing this? Like, I don't understand. Like, why he's doing any of the things that he's doing. Oh, absolutely. I felt the same and so way. If you're not under its spell, you're just kind of like. That's a neat shot. Why? Yeah, that's. I agree. The unfortunate thing is, is like, it fucking wrote me. Yeah. And so I was just yeah, like, I was sure. on and the wavelength. Either, it's that, like, I think you're. It's like it's it's yeah. perfume genius for me. Northman's perfume genius, like the, uh, the, the new like album you're being haunted by perfume genius. <laughs> I just fucking hate that album. <laughs> second least favorite album of the year, next to the Wet Leg debut. Um, no, that's the thing. Like it, it ropes me in early on. Um, just, I don't know. It's set design early on when they go when it goes to the the island of H. I'm not gonna try to say that. Yeah, that's I'm not right. white enough to say that. <laughs> um, like it ropes me with its coldness, and it feels like I'm sure it's a lot of it's CGI, but it feels like a lot of practical sets there. And so I'm just kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm connected. And then it just keeps going and going and going with that, and I'm like, and then it's gory, which always is gonna like mm-hmm. practical gory too. Yeah, it's always gonna get me in. Um, and then it doesn't get like really folklorally weird until like 30 minutes in. Um, and even when it does, it's still pretty grounded when, you know, uh, Ethan Hawke and Alexander Starr's, well, she kid Oscar no- Novak, um, you know, young Amleth go to see William Defoe and they're pounding like dogs and farting. The, the, yeah. The wolf, the wolf, whatever. Yeah. Like, but like, it's just, I'm so roped in cause uh, it's just, yeah, it is a kind of thing where, like, if you're on its wavelength, like, it's gonna keep you in. And it's just, like, I got on its wavelength and I kept in. And, um, like, even stuff that would have, like, lost me, like the Bjork thing, where it goes, like, black and white, or unsaturated, like, very unsaturated. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's black and white, because I think there's some blues no, in there. No, there's some blues in there. Um, like, I'm just like, this is, I'm like, this is a weird choice, but, like, I don't fucking care. Like, I'm in it. And, just just, kind of and it looks cool. It. Yeah. And everything's very tactile and like practical and like you could touch it and you could see all the textures and stuff like that. I just like for if me, you don't connect to it, you're, yeah. you're probably just going like I could see Anya Taylor I could Joy see going like what's the point? rules. Like what? she just keeps doing stuff where you're just kind of like, oh, she's just the coolest, right? Like to know her outside of acting, she just must be the coolest person ever. Yeah. Um she's good. Scar's doing like a really yeah, he, he's doing like good, yeah. like he's good work at I mean, he sucks. Not, just think, not just necessarily think, in this, but like, I. He just needs to be a like a strong man in this. Yeah, so and like he feels like it's just a I strong. Have, I'm gonna actually. I'm gonna say one thing. He feels to, like an Eddie Hall. The one thing I have a problem with in this movie is Eddie Hall just punched a wall yeah. and immediately killed 17 people. Uh, what, what is that? Eddie Hall's a famous strong man. Oh, okay. Like a world strongest man. Oh, okay. And he that this thing that happened. He punched a wall and like. No, I'm just saying he's so strong. They punched the wall and it um, went and killed 17 people. Maybe so. I 
but so the thing that I found weird about this movie is that I kept thinking about like this movie that like he was going to be this like uh, expert like killing machine. But for some reason, there's all these moments sneaky. in the middle of the movie where he sucks. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant we're just being sneaky. No, the sneaky stuff is fine. Um, there's all this stuff in the middle of the movie where he's just terrible at everything. And he's like not like the focal point of like his army's like whatever. I actually thought the raid in the which is I thought the raid in the painted bird was like more interesting than the raid in this, which is bad. Well, I think the raid in um Come and see is oh the well the raid and come and see is is what yeah. they both aspire to. I mean, I actually was kind of disgusted but, but the reason, that they that they did that. But the reason I was so into it though, like I was yeah I agree, but I was into it because of like Eggers. I don't know. Maybe it's because me and Eggers are a similar age. Mm. But the, and the second like Amleth is just like fucking hacking up the wall. I'm just like this is cool. Yeah. But I wish that But then had, like it just it, after that it becomes a little boring. So right. So here's to look at. But exactly. like but the fact like that this is what I'm saying. Like this movie is like a drug to me. It felt like I was like on a drug and experience. I, and I and I totally get it. It just didn't um it was like one of those things where you took the you took the drug and you're just like, nah, it's not doing anything for me. Yeah, it's like a, um but I like appreci- salvia for me. I totally <laughs> Salvia didn't do anything when I took it in college. I totally appreciate it. But like there was a friend who tried to like she tried to strip naked and we had to prevent her from stripping naked. By stripping so naked, she, do you mean like she tried to rip her skin off? No, she was like she said she was hot, like too warm, mm-hmm. and so she tried to take her clothes off. And we're like, don't take your clothes off. And I was also had consumed salvia, which is like it lasts like ten minutes. Mm-hmm. It didn't do anything for yeah. me. Yeah. Like, yeah. Did, so I am her trying to rip my clothes off while seeing Northman, and you and are me yeah. having um, taken salvia. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I just I it was um I again. I look forward to whatever the next thing is. He's one of yeah, those guys that like I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep watching. I just because we were talking about this, he's going to hit like a fucking super home I, run. Eventually. I hope so. But we, we've said you've said like where we talked about David Robert Mitchell. We're talking about yeah. Ari Aster. And we're talking about Robert Eggers. David Robert Mitchell could fall into it. I think, I think he he's just gonna do. Ha- I think he may have already. I mean, I think Under the Silver Lake might be like a masterpiece, or it might be kind of what we thought, which was just like this is. Yeah, he, but he's not—he's not Richard Kelly, right? No, but like he's—he might slip into it, but he's gonna just—he's doing what he he's wants. He's doing what he's doing. He's yeah. doing what he wants to do. Yeah, Ari Aster and Robert Eggers want to be known. David Robert Mitchell, I think, is fine. But never being this. known. I will say, I think Robert Eggers could do it. I would. Be, Ari Aster is never gonna fucking do it. I I, this, in, this appointment right. Boulevard is gonna suck. It's gonna be terrible, and I would argue that's because, despite how long it is. A st- it's going to be a studio's movie. Um, it's going to be disappointment s- at Boulevard. It's going to be somebody else's movie. Uh, even, if is, even if it's Ari Aster's <clears throat> movie, though, it's still going to suck because Ari Aster doesn't have a vision. What I'm saying is that, like, he, he probably does have a vision, but he doesn't have a vision. He's he's he not wants, cool. He, he's not cool. He's not cool, but he wants to be cool. Yeah. Robert Eggers definitely doesn't want to be fucking cool, but he is kind of cool. Robert but Eggers in is his uncool in his desire to not be cool or his lack of desire to be cool, he is cool. Robert Eggers is just like a to me. Well, so I think I'm gonna say this. I think this director's a better director. I mean, a slightly better writer. I think Robert Eggers and S. Craig Zoller are fairly similar in terms of like just like just they're doing to their aesthetic, just doing what they're gonna do. Well, so the thing that this movie reminded me of more than anything else is Thomas Pynchon's book Mason and Dixon, which is a period book about. 
you know, the Robert Eggers just got an erection. Oh my god, I'm sure he's probably got like a 1500 page manuscript draft of a <laughs> script for this. Um, that it's not for like a to be broken up into a mini series is like a three and a half hour movie. Well, our um, is trying to direct all Jonathan Franz and shit. Yeah, um, it's uh, a period, and he writes it. In, he writes it in dialect, and it looks like um, a book that might have come out in like the 1700s, like with the big capital letters and like the language is all weird and shit like that. But like the names are very pinchony. So like there's a guy with the last name of Cherry Coke. Um, you know, Mason and Dixon are like mom. Mason and Dixon is set when? In the 1700s. Okay. So it's. I tried to read it once and I just never. It's because it's, a, it's it. an aesthetic just. I've only phenomenal. been able to get into Inherent Vice. That's the only thing I've been able right. to Right. And that's. But that's. So this is in when Thomas Pynchon was releasing a novel every 10 years, nine, 10 yeah. years. And Mason and Dixon was the one after Vineland, which was 14 years after Vineland. And he wouldn't release another one for nine years until against the day. And so Mason and Dixon was just this big, huge doorstop of a book that was almost unreadable. But if you could read it, it was this aesthetic achievement um, that was actually really very funny about like the founding of America and all this other stuff. Um, that's what those, these Eggers movies seem like to me, where he's just like, I don't fucking care. I'm doing this in, I'm using obscure languages. I'm going to do... Like, whatever shots I want, it's going to be as violent as I want to do it. The color saturation is going to be whatever it is. I don't care if, like, Anya Taylor-Joy is not doing enough witch stuff to support some of her witchy outbursts, like, later in the movie. Um, She just says she's a witch kind of a bunch of times. It doesn't matter because it all feels so original and good. Even though he's like, is this this? This No, 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 no. It's that. Oh, yeah. This tastes very dry today. It tastes like chalk. It's weird. Yeah. I um, didn't mind that. You know, as I scoot it over. Well, no, it's, um, it's empty. That's why I scoot it over. No, no, it's just the way you do it. <laughs> it's over here. Um, I, he's, 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 he's carving his own path. And if that doesn't... It doesn't always work for me, but I I 100% appreciate what, like what he's doing. You mentioned trying. this earlier, though. Now, we're, as we're shitting on Ari Aster, meet us at the end of the year when we talk about this point with Boulevard. Um... What is the scene that felt like him shitting on Ari Aster for you? Oh, so when he was um, strung up in, like, after they caught him. Okay. And they, they were beating him. And he was, like, strung up in. And the birds coming along? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, this is, this is like, Ari Aster's, like, sewing someone into a bear scene. Oh, because, like, like the, the, had all, the, like, the hay and all that. Just, yeah, yeah, just in the way that it was framed and stuff like that with, like, some of the light in the background. It was very clear light. Um where the movie is very gray or dark, like on that morning was a like clear morning. So it was like Midsummer is like very clear. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so it's very like, clear light. I don't like that movie. Again, it's, an, it's it, I just, it I, felt okay, but it just, may, it's it just, okay it's, to me. Em- it felt, feels empty. Yeah. It feels very empty. So that's the thing about this. This, you know what it is about Ari Aster? He's, he, he's, he has a good eye. Yeah. He knows what to do, but he has nothing to say. Right. I, I don't Just like, dude, direct other people's scripts. So here's the thing. He's going to be a good director if he directs other yeah. people's scripts. Here's what I would say, and that's to that exact point. I don't know if Robert Eggers has anything to say either. At least as a co But he's got an aesthetic that functions as the thing that he wants to say. And also, like, he's also not, it doesn't matter if he's saying anything. Cause like his- sure. Well, that's, a, that's part of the aesthetic, though. He's not trying to, like, 
Yeah, he's not trying to do anything. He's just trying to like. So that's he's, like, it. Feels like Robert Eggers is just like this. Looks fucking cool, right? So here's this is cool. Here's this is cool. Another thing I point to with the Ari Aster thing is that like one of the things that I've recently had a problem with thinking about Midsommar is like the beginning of Midsommar. You know how everyone was kind of like wedding themselves over like the beginning of Midsommar? I was like, she could have killed those people however she wanted and it could have been just as traumatic for Florence Pugh. He went to the point of like doing this incredibly stupid and elaborate like, oh, carbon monoxide and I taped fucking shit to people's faces and ran hoses all over the fucking house. Paul Dano killed all those people. Yeah. And he would have done it more interestingly and more effectively. Like, that stuff is for no reason. That hammer scene in the beginning of Batman rocks. So. I love it. That's a good hammer scene. I love it. But yeah, no, the, exactly. It's just like, it's it's like Arya. Yeah, so it didn't know. do anything for me, but I'm I'm still a 100% a supporter of of um, the the Robert Eggers, Robert Eggers experience. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, 100%. Like, I'm on, I'm on board. Like, just the Northman just kind of was just kind of like, all right, what else yeah, you got? Yeah, it's kind of, it's, yeah, like, I mean, I fucking love Northman, but, like, even after Lighthouse, I watched Lighthouse, and I was like, uh, I'm not big on this. Like, yeah. I, there's stuff I liked about it. But still, super excited for Northman, because there's, like, sure, a, something to do. And if it's weird, like I said, you're going to you're gonna miss a lot, but, like, you're going to nail it, and Northman nailed it. Like, what I fucking want. And to go back to what we were talking about when we were talking about, like, you know, you said it was your number five most anticipated movie and we had that conversation. I think one of the things I was worried about when we were talking about the trailer, which had just come out when we were doing that thing, was like, I hope this is not, like, an action movie. And it, there's a lot of action, but it this is, is not a fucking action movie. No, it's not. Like, but it, no, I, I mean, that it made is. Me, it is an action movie. But it's, it's happy. an action movie with, like, too much weird shit. To I was just worried that he was going to sell out and this was just going to be, like, an episode of Vikings, but, like, on yeah. the screen. And but then is, all of a sudden, like he's not. all of a sudden, like he's a Vikings with the the teeth stone teeth ground is leading him up to heaven, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or to Valhalla, and yeah, Which you're, is like, you're just like great. No. Yeah, the thing, Ari, again, Ari Aster aspires to scenes as good as the Valkyrie taking him up to fucking heaven. Yeah, like and even even minor scenes were just they're like nude bathing in a hot bath just look good. Yeah, because like, there's not anything going on there, or like when. You know, him and Anna Taylor, and Sarsgaard and Alan Taylor-Joy have sex, like, in the woods after getting drunk because he beats to death, the, what, the mountain or whatever. Yeah. Um, during that game. Like, even stuff that's kind of, like, slow, just, it's, it looks good, and it does good stuff, and it it's interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting scene. Yeah. Whereas when Ari Aster slows down, it's just, I just want to kill myself. <laughs> Which is, again, I didn't. I didn't have... I'm sorry. That fucking drug scene that everyone talks about in Midsommar, like, on, at the table, it's like, ooh, it's such a good drug scene. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. Ari Aster's never taken drugs. <laughs> I find that so funny. But he hasn't. It's like, very funny. That is not I just think, um, for me, the thing that... I mean, I don't know. Again, I do know. I love... That is not what drugs is like. Yeah. I love the Hacks and Cloak score. I love Florence Pugh's uh, performance in it. I love some of the visual stuff in it, but I like I like, I like a lot of things. Like Jack, I like Jack, uh, not Jack Wade, Jack. Um, what's his name? Will Poulter? No, not Will Poulter. But he's the, very good. The boyfriend actor. Oh, I forget what his name is. But he's good I, yeah, too. Yeah, there's a good aspects about it. But when you sew a guy into a bear, you better have a fucking reason for it. Jack Raynor. And he doesn't have a reason for it, and so it's just this kind of like, why, like that's. 
You know what it's it is not too? Even, doesn't even make any sense. You know what it is too? Like like they both have this, and we're talking way too much about these this, but because this is the podcast is basically like Ari Aster versus Robert Eggers. Well, my number um, three will be easy to talk about, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> but my thing is, it's like there's a real cruelty, cruelty mm. to Ari Aster stuff. Like there's heavy violence in Robert Eggers' stuff. There's a little there's shame not, not, attached to the Ari Aster stuff. It's like, but it's cruel yeah. and unnecessarily cruel. I think a little bit, yeah. I like agree you with just, you. I just, you don't earn it. I think that's like where the like, blood eagle thing in Midsummer. I kind of like sat there for like 15 minutes after that, going like, that guy did not deserve that. And I think it's the thing, the same thing with the bear thing. Is that like they're? It almost seems like they're making fun of this guy, like he's like pathetic or something, because like he's this is happening. And it to doesn't, him. it like, doesn't, this is not good. yeah, and it doesn't earn like that ending where you know Florence Pugh's um, Danny uh, is kind of like happy that she's found like her community but she's also she's, crushed she's crushed but it also doesn't earn it because of the fact that like you're like this cult are all pieces of huge shit whereas like the violence or what there's there's some it's justification not, there's there it's just it's so yeah. mean and so cruel it takes yourself it's not completely the, out of it's it. not the idea that the it's not the idea that this cult is such a, a piece of shit it's the idea that like is her trauma like so bad that, that like she would happened. she would give herself to a cult because her parent her sister killed her parents. That also and also given what she's seen them do. Right. Like Whereas like Robert Eggers' weird. violence or the stuff that happens in the Eggers movies is kind of just like this is of its time and its world. Like the well, stuff that's happening in Witch, yeah. the stuff that's happening in Lighthouse. In Lighthouse 2.2, yeah, he just is, like, you it's just, all about like, control in Lighthouse, over yeah, your in Lighthouse, It's also control over circumstances, but it's also you can also justify it by going like they're fucked up on, you know, wood alcohol. On wood alcohol and loneliness and yeah. the rain, like and all that stuff is in, in homoeroticism and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then like in Northman, it's just like this is the fucking world you're in. Well, and in which is just like deals with like once again sure. like loneliness yeah, 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 and exclusion sure. in the world of New England myth. Well, and that's where Robert Eggers like wins points for doing stuff like in the Lighthouse, where he shoots it in a different aspect ratio and like the way that. He should like I forget the cinematographer's name off the top of my head. Uh, Blaschke, um, um, the way that he shoots Good that job. stuff, I wouldn't remember that shit. He, I, it looks kind of like diorama esque, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it has this kind of like otherworldly quality to it. Ari Aster has never approached like anything like that. No, and his outs in his movies are too easy and like under. And you use the word undercooked before about everything everywhere all at once. It's. Like, the ending of Hereditary is so undercooked. Having Anne Dowd just be like, Payman, uh, 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 people with no heads. It's like, that's stupid. Yeah. I went to a movie in Seymour, like, where there's, it's just a movie theater and a Dunkin' Donuts in the parking lot. And it's like a strip mall that's empty to see Hereditary. And that's what you give me? Give me some pay- Anne Dowd saying Payman with headless people worshipping? I've seen Compliance, and Compliance is no endowed at her top. I've watched multiple seasons of The Handmaid's Tale, and I've wanted to die watching every single episode because it is the worst. I'm trying to talk positively about Handowd. No, but she's great in it. Oh, okay. But that TV show is terrible. I, I've watched like three episodes. In. Am I on my number three? Yep. I grabbed the beer you said. I... Oh, there's another. The one you said. No, no, no. Do you want to twist? This do you want to share that one? This is another West Coast okay. IPA. This is a sour. Let's do the West Coast. Okay. This is Westbound Down. Eastbound um, and Down. It's from Colorado. Uh, 
Westbound and westbound and down. Oh, I said eastbound and down. No, I know. Maybe. My little northern lion side references. That is good. Thank you. Um, well, I just watched my number three. Is one of the movies I was very excited to see this year. Um, his movie, his last movie, dug in. Um, I didn't necessarily care for it a lot, like when we watched it. Um, but I was definitely, I had feelings about it. Um, and that movie is Climax, and the director is Gaspar Noe. And his new movie... Oh, wow, I did not expect this to be your three. His okay. new, new movie... Oh, you expected it to be higher? I expected a movie I watched earlier today to be further down your list than it is. No. Um, <laughs> is, uh, this, his movie is Vortex. Um, yeah, we're not doing clips. Uh, Vortex stars um, Dario Argento as um, you know a, a, a father, um, as, a, as a guy. He's an Ooh. old man. I forget they say his name, but they don't have it listed here. It just says the yeah, father and the, the mother. I don't remember saying it either, yeah. but they have character names. Uh, Francois uh, Lebrun plays his wife. Uh, they have a son played by Alex Lutz. Stefan. Um, we do hear Stefan. Stefan, yeah. Quite a bit. Um, and the conceit of this movie is that um, the first couple of... S- the first scene and a half... The first scene is shot in... Um, a smaller aspect ratio. It's long. Yeah, it's not four short. three, but no, it's something else. Um, and it's the screen is together. Okay, they're having dinner outside. They're having like a little snack or something outside on their dreams. Harris patio. They're talking about dreams. Life is a dream. Everything's a dream. They you know clink their glasses together. They have some wine. The next time we see them, they're together again, uh, but they're in bed. And then um, Francois LeBron, Le, Lebron wakes up, and then. Very slowly, a big, thick line goes down the middle of the screen, and then the two screens that are created expand out a little bit. And for the rest of the movie, pretty much we are on two screens. There is um, one camera or one perspective following one character, and then another you know, uh, perspective following another character, to the extent where in the very early scene of the movie, um, the mother who has dementia um, just leaves the house and goes into various stores and clearly doesn't know where she is. And Francois LeBun is um, fantastic. Oh, absolutely. Um, and Dario Argento is asleep. And then he's working on a book. And then he's checking his phone to see if his mistress... Is he playing basically Dario Argento, by the way? I think so. He's a, is he a former filmmaker? Um, I don't know, but he's definitely like a film guy. Yeah, well, his son <clears throat> edits documentaries. Documentaries. And he's so, writing a book on I wonder film. if he's a prof- like a film critic or, or something, like a, figure, like a, yeah. something like that. Um, and then he realized that his wife is gone and uh, he goes and finds her. But so you're watching, it's two different, it's, it's really interesting because they're in the same house for a little bit and they kind of cross paths with each other and then um, the mother puts the, the kettle on for coffee and then he goes and turns it off and like so they're in different rooms of the house but then she leaves and then you're in totally different like situations and your eyes are just kind of like getting one and getting another there's not a lot of dialogue luckily in these scenes so it's like it's you don't have to like um keep they're not like overlapping conversations yeah every time there's strong conversations they're in the, they're same, in the same room yeah um which leads to some really breathtaking situations with like the dual screen there's the scene where they're having like a really serious conversation with the son about putting the mother into like um, a home. Yeah, and, and you she, see like, like Francois, like she leans into the other shot. Yeah, that shit is incredible. 
Um, but that's the conceit. Um, and he is, I mean, there's other things happening here um, that we can kind of like dig into like on a piece by piece basis. And maybe if we were having like a much longer conversation about this, we would. Um, I mean, there's a chance that we talk about this. We might be, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, but she is, she she has dementia and that's like her, um, her main characteristic of her life now is that like she can't remember stuff she's, um, walking away from things. Dario Argento's character does have And she this, has, like, mild cognitive... She's, she's like mild cognitive. sometimes, yeah. Yeah, so she's at still at the MCI point where she has the good days and the bad But it days. seems like it's she's kind of not escalating. At, it's escalating, but she's not at, like, Anthony Hopkins and the father. No, which I think is... Which we'll talk about. Um, Dario Argento, on the other hand, is a, just kind of a douchebag. He's his daughter. Yeah. Got... Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I don't think he killed anybody. Um... <laughs> um um, yeah, she killed Anthony Bourdain. That's fair. And if she didn't kill him, he, she, his, she led him to his him. depression was so bad that like the heroin that she was pretty much making him do accepted. Is, yeah. um, if we get sued by that would be awesome. The, that would be good for the podcast. We um, get a producer. Yeah, another one that changed the lights. No, 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 no. it's over. Okay. Um, he's an asshole. He's cheating on her with this woman who like. Because they shoot her in the dark, she doesn't look like she's so much younger than she is. But like when you look it up, she's like so much younger. It doesn't matter. Um, he's right. Oh, was she really? I thought she was supposed to be like also in her seventies. I think she was supposed to be like younger, but not like that much younger. But I think in reality, she's like fifty. Oh, okay. Um, she's like the she's like a makeup artist. So um, he's writing a book about film and dreams and it's great because he just says he's writing a book about film and dreams all the time and everyone's like great idea that's a great idea like everyone's always freaking out about this great idea to write a book about film and dreams as we watch like Dario Genter with his like keyboard hunting and pecking I know, I know. Um, and he's he's very cons- he, he also has this problem where like he doesn't want to address any of the issues that are like happening um, so and then the son is a former addict who has a, who has a son himself uh, with a woman who is, like, a current addict. I mean, maybe is he's she's, a current addict, is too. Is she in, like, therapy? Or is she in institution? I think she was in recovery, yeah. So she was okay. in, in, like, some kind of institution or something. Or maybe even, like... I think she's currently... I, I, I think so, yeah. necessarily grab um, And he's struggling with that, but he's doing his best to, like, get these things, get his life in order. Um, he does, You know, he's working in... Some, working in film he doesn't have a lot of money he borrows money from his parents he gets takes food from his parents i think i remember reading a review of this when it came out that like he was like a shitty son and i was like well and i was watching this movie and i was like well that's that's true yeah um he's trying very hard um and then the movie ends tragically i mean i guess we can spoil it like you know when we get to it um maybe i'll just like open this whole thing with a spoiler um and the the greatest thing that ever happens. It's just a thing that like how you were with the Northmen is how I was when I was watching Vortex when Dario Argento's character eventually dies and there's that great fade out to like the color of a pillow sheet and then there's a fade in to a textured like pillowcase and then we're on one screen. And then the other side... Like 25 of, minutes. Yeah. And then the other side of the screen is empty. Black. It's just... It's black screen. Yeah. It's... Oh. It's... I... I, don't, I can't even really talk about it. It, like, was like a bomb. 
because the ultimate thing about this movie is that like these all these people are experiencing a loss of self. Um, it means something different in all of them. It means literally the mother's actual self. It means Dario Argento's character's like perceived self. You know what I mean? Oh, you lost my work. You flushed it down the toilet. Uh, you know, and he's great. Cause, and I love how they talk to like he's Italian. So he's, his French is like not amazing. Which was great which about. Which works. Which was also awesome as somebody who took six years of French. Like I was able to like watch Argento talk without reading subtitles quite often. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, it's. Because I, I his accent was, because I can't. I could never hear the accent, so mm-hmm. I always lose the words and accent. Like I could, when he was saying, I was just like, "Oh, phonet-, he's like phonetically speaking French yeah. quite often." I'm like, "I get what he's saying." Like, um, you know, I, I just I think what I'm interested in, and we'll talk about this as we get like a little deeper into our list. Although there's only two more like things left, um, I I love the idea. This is Gaspar knows like most human. And even the people that are writing about this, this is the best movie. I think so too. And even the people that are writing about this movie, like, oh, the brutality of aging and stuff like that. Casper Noe has been way more brutal in like his movies. Way more brutal. I don't I don't find this movie to be that brutal. I don't think all. so either. It's just like the father is a the father and a more are much darker films about aging and dementia. Right. But I think this movie has this underlying subtext and takes some interesting shots where the duels, the split screen shows the, very obviously shows the separation of, of these people. But the when they drop, when they drop one of the screens, it shows like the like the complete separation. And that loss of attachment is like is really profound. And there's moments where it kind of seems to reattach itself at the end of the movie where it'll go to a second screen occasionally. Um, that it seems to come back, but it never never fully comes back to the point where like the mother ends up taking her own life as well. Um, and the visceral experience of that in film, I was just having a conversation with somebody about work and they're like, Oh, what's the art form that you think is still pushing boundaries? I was like, I'm pretty sure it's film. Like with Memoria last year and with this, this year, these physical expressions of, um, uh, um, a feeling, not an emotion, but like a feeling yeah. is, I just, I, I just love. I kind of, I, I kind of. I, this is one of those mo- the movies that I think is going to stick because I already told my wife like, we have to watch this because she's in, she's in the mental health field, so she's going to be into it. Um, but I was like, I just want to know what you think of like this conceit of like the the vehicle for this movie with like the split screen and how that works. Yeah, and then, to me, the split screen works to an. I, mean, I don't necessarily love this movie. Because there's something with Gaspar. And, well, I think like philosophically. What do you think of this? It's fine. Yeah, it's nice. um, philosophically, I just think I disagree with Gaspar Noel on like a like, fundamental level. So like I, I'm removed from his films. Mm-hmm. But the thing I enjoy about this in contradiction to most of the reviews is like the banality of it all. Mm. It's so like matter of a fact of what she's going through and his own aging. And like it's, it is just like, uh, a slice of it felt like um, Gian, not Gian Dillman. You know what I'm thinking of. Um, oh my God! Get there. 
Oh, Gene Dielman? Yeah, Gene yeah, yeah, yeah. Dielman. Yeah. I thought about that too. It felt like that. Yeah. Like it felt like you're, there's so many moments, like even when she like like lights the gas um, and Dario Gento's kind of running through like, oh, you're trying to kill me sort of yeah. thing. Like that's like the most energy you have in a moment. But it just feels like a, a moment. And when they're having like this deep conversation yes. with Stefan about like placing the mother in the house uh, into a retirement home, into a skilled nursing facility... Um, my work flooding into me. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, it's interesting looking, but it's just a conversation. A, a, sure. A day in the life conversation. And the kind of the matter of a factness of it all, like, maybe adds to, like, the horror of it is the fact that it's like, this is something that happens. Right? Like, the father or a more has these, like, moments of, like, oh, Big drama. There's big, big Shakespearean context. energy and in I, like yeah. both of those movies. Even like away from her a little bit. Which, too. which I think away from her is like yeah. But I just think away from her is just like not good enough to like reach those levels mm. that the father because I think Father is still an exceptional, exceptional film because it's a good way of painting to an able mind what that experience could be like. Mm-hmm. And a more is a good way of painting to like that experience could be like to somebody in that life, right? Somebody somebody dealing with somebody also suffering from that. Whereas this movie is just like, this is just happens. It's going to constantly happen. Yeah. And it's it's punctuated by like that last line, which I, you know, like, because like Gaspar Noel is like a fatalist. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, and um, my parents hopefully never listen to this. Like, I believe in reincarnation sort of thing. And like, so like philosophically, like I just don't, Philosophically, like me and Gaspar Noel are pretty similar, but I just like, I so fundamentally disagree with him on everything. I'm just like, Oh, whatever. I just kind of like blanketly dismiss yeah. it. But um, when he says like, that's not a home, it's for the living. I'm kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah, I get your premise and whatnot. And it works. Um, and that's why this movie does work in the sense of like, I do disagree with it. So I don't respond to it, but I think it does what Gaspar Noel wants to do much better than anything he ever did before. Yeah, I agree with you. Outside of Enter the Void was kind of a yeah. second best to me because like, it's just, interesting because it's a drug thing yeah and um, the point i thought was just it's it's uh, yeah i always go back to like the kids in the hall sketch of premise beach when they're just like oh this guy has a lobster hand and they're like premise and i think a lot of gaspar noe's movies like start as just premises yeah. and they're just like but it, it was interesting for me because i think that explores something he didn't believe in and it was him trying to do that right? i think so um, but, but it definitely this, started as like, but like I want to do this, this. Yeah, but I also think it was kind of like a thought experiment. This works because like it represents this absolutely kind of like not nihilistic, an absolute like naturalistic perspective to aging, and that's why it's it could be terrifying, absolutely terrifying if you subscribe to like that train of thought. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work for me because I just don't yeah, yeah. believe in it. Um, so yeah, it is is an accomplishment. I I think it's it's interesting. To do that, that dual perspective. Because, like, yeah, it becomes almost boring to watch when you're just looking at... I mean, these three lead performances are fan, fucking fantastic. Um, like, just looking at her on one side of the screen for... Like, you find that, like, intrig- like I find it thrilling. Thrilling. But to me, I'm just like, this is dull. When he's like, sitting there watching a movie and she's just, like, sitting, walking around the house doing nothing, I'm just like... This is amazing. Yeah, to me, I'm just like, this is dull. But I'm like, you know what? It's working. Like, me watching 
a guy play Super Auto Pets is also boring to most people, <laughs> but that's life. Like, I find it interesting, but it's boring. Yeah. And, like, I appreciate that. It is, the, it is this big topic in film that's become, like, this big thing in cinema lately, this, this dementia aging thing. They love it, And yeah. presenting it in a way of just, like, this is really what it's like. Mm-hmm. And somebody, like, works in that field. This is what it's like. It's just, it happens, yeah. and you deal with it. And eventually, some of the pe- one of the people that's a caretaker just dies of a massive heart attack. And I like, I, I appreciate it for that. I don't respond to it, but I think it's the best film on the subject. I will, as we snake, I will do my number two, and then we'll have like another too long conversation about this. Um, I one of the things like my number two would have been my number one very easily if it was willing to kind of take some more shots that I wanted it to take, and it's a movie that I, it's num, it's as high as it is because I, it's beautiful and it's like a living poem. But Koganada's second feature after Yang. Holy shit, that's your number one? Oh yeah. Oh fuck yeah. Oh, okay. Um. <laughs> wow. By the way, we did this thing now where we've actually told each other what our lists are, which we probably should do for end of year. That'd be good so like we can actually have better conversations. Well, but most of the time it's hard for the end of the year because we're literally watching movies up until the day we make our lists I'll, I'll have a cutoff for myself you can watch it to the day well we'll see list. how like the rest of the year goes yeah. um in this movie um this is my number seven by the way so far oh just moved down oh because of the new was the other movie. um yeah. i don't i have to bring it up because i don't remember anybody's name um it's in this it's in the future um yeah to to a point um what do they call this like soft sci-fi um, lo-fi lo-fi is what they're calling it now I think. lo-fi um Colin Firth plays Jake. Jake and uh Jody Turner Smith plays Kira and they have a daughter named Mika and she is adopted and she is Chinese and they decide to not have a second child but to get a techno um sapien as it's referred to later in the movie um that is Chinese that can kind of connect her to her Chinese, Chinese. heritage. Possibly. His name is Yang. Uh, these opening credits are some of the best opening credits in the history of the movies. Um, just absolutely fantastic. Ready. Begin. <laughs> family dance. 9,000 families eliminated. eliminated. Um, Short list for score. Oh, Again. Oh, God. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you get an ending credit Mitski. That's fun. Is that an original song? No, it's a cover. Okay. Yeah. Is it an original cover? Mm-hmm. Oh, then it's then it qualifies. No, it qual- no, it definitely yeah. qualifies. Um, I love when that when the song like hit like it's like a plays a key role in the movie. Um, Yang dies or doesn't die. Yang stops working, and there's a whole bunch of the first half hour of this movie. Interestingly enough, is it's an hour and a half. Um, is Jake trying to figure out Jake who runs a tea shop? I was trying to figure out what the hell is up with Yang. Let's get Yang back up and running. He's a big part of the family. Um, Mika loves him. Um, he gets he meets a conspiracy guy. He meets a bunch of other people. Um, he goes to the Apple store and they won't fix him. Um, so he takes him to a conspiracy guy. $250. Whose friend Clifton Collins, who, you know, is parlaying that jockey fame into... Well, he's going to parlay that into parts. Avatar 2 as well. Woof. Is he, is he playing 
He's I a big a part. He's no, he's playing. He's playing a Navi. Oh, good for him. Good for him. Got to got to play the Navi. It works out so well for Sam. Whatever is it, Worthington. It worked out really well for Zoe Saldana. Well, Zoe Saldana is like the highest grossing actress in the history yeah. of film or something. Um, Good for her. They eventually end up at, he pulls this thing out of Yang and he's like, oh, it's spyware. They're watching us. Yeah, from the core. From his core. Yeah. His core shut down. Uh, and the Apple store will only replace 12 parts, but the this guy in his basement will replace his core. I'm going to stop. We're going to pause real briefly to introduce the idea that, like, Coconut's first feature, Columbus, is this highly structured, from a visual standpoint, film. And this movie, in some scenes, is, like, very regular. Like, there's some just normal, like, establishing yeah, that's shot why, scenes. That's why I just didn't like it as um, much. I, I loved it because it, it kind of it turns into something towards the end. It takes this core to... Um, a woman who runs a museum and she is like, well, this is actually this. That's a Creo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And she puts this thing on a reader and he starts looking at it and these memories come back in 10 seconds, 10 seconds of memories a piece. And like the idea is like of their thinking about it is like, what is a, a techno sapien choose to remember because he's got to create these memories because he's a computer. So like, what does he choose to remember? So, um, they go back and they go through all these memories. Um, and there's like an offer on the table to like exhibit Yang and exhibit his memories and all this other stuff. Um, and meanwhile, Jake is, it's kind of just struggling with like who he is as like a, a dad or a husband. Um, a father. What's the, Importantly, I think. I think so. Um, as a as a as a self, like what's um, what's what's most important to him, and I think he uses Yang's memories and what was important to Yang as a kind of barometer for what maybe should be important to him. It's a little vague, um, a little vaguer than I would normally like, which is maybe one of the reasons it's my number two. Um, Richardson comes in as like a, as a clone that he that Yang is like has like a a, a, a deep connection to. Um, it, this movie is um, completely beautiful and is like reminiscent of Nine Days and it's like feeling is about um, you know the, the uh, physical sensual experience of being alive and why that's valuable and there's like a beautiful discussion of tea this movie is like impeccably written I think some of these conversations that Yang has with Jody Turner-Smith and Colin Farrell are um their characters are really calibrated perfectly and have like a real flow to it and end well. And um, my, my one quibble with it is that, that you have this really interesting conceit of these 10 second shots that they spend a lot of time with. I'm curious as to why, like someone who seems to be a experimenter in a way, like Koganana, I mean, not an experimenter, but he, he's pushing, like, he doesn't have any pressure on him, I don't think, to, to do anything. I mean, after Yang take, took, I mean, it's pandemic-related, but it's a pretty simple movie. Yeah. Um, took a long time to come out after Columbus. He wasn't just, like, churning movies. Yeah, Columbus is 2017. I'm not sure why. I think when they were showing the clips and they were rewinding them and kind of, like, watching them back, and they, he was like, when the memory... Actually, I'll get. I'll, I'll. I'll backtrack. When they started showing the clips, I was like, I would have loved this movie. Would have been on my list 
if it, this movie was told in clips like Ooh. this. And they tried to establish a narrative through these clips. But I know that they want to show the growth of Jake. And so that's, and of, of um, Jody Terrence's character, um, Kira. They want to show that growth. And so that's why they have it told in like the linear way that it is where they're, they're watching them and then reacting to them is because you get these really beautiful moments too where they're like replay. And so he, they replay some of like the memories and then in their own minds, they replay some of their own memories and the, the, the tone changes a little bit and like some of their words, some of the spacing of like some of the pauses change. Um, so they're just trying to remember these conversations with Yang. So it's about perception too. Um, the movie ends up being a little more regular than I thought it was going to be, which doesn't stop it from being like impossibly beautiful and like heartfelt and like, um, you know, open hearted and, and, and wonderful. It's just, it's doesn't Columbus packed like a, a, a punch with all the stuff that it was doing with like how he, how he constructed shots and how, um, those shots like played into the idea of the narrative without seeming forced. You know what I mean? And this doesn't, he does a lot of stuff with screens here. So there's a lot of stuff shot through windows. Um, There's a lot of this idea of perception, but a lot of those shots, I'm not sure who is perceiving who. So it's outside of a window watching two people having a conversation. So I'm saying like, who's watching? Is it Yang? It can't be Yang because Yang is dead. But are we seeing a lot of these movies from the perception of a Yang like, Figure. And we get a lot of like repeats too of like we have a character say a line and it's a, like especially in flashbacks well, that's, that's immediately said again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like the they're trying to remember. Kind of like, yeah, but yeah. it's also like a perception of like is what perspective are we looking at this from? Right. Um, it's a little too careful and safe are not the words I want to I want to use, but it feels I think those are the right I have, words. I have very different words for it. It's your number seven, so you don't hate it. No, I don't but hate like, it. Yeah. I don't hate it. I, I'm I'm troubled by it mm. in the sense of it's a little too obtuse at times, and I feel as though Koganada, um, at least with Columbus, did a really exceptional capturing of people passing in the night, ships passing in the night, trying to find structure and trying to find meaning and trying to find purpose. Yeah. And um, in that film, you have two people doing that, and it works. Supported by the cinematography. Absolutely. And this movie, funnily enough, reminds me of another movie, which we discussed when we discussed Columbus, Mm. which is Ghost Story. Mm. Yeah, a little bit. Um, A little bit. In the sense of loss. But there's two people in this who are lost. And these are the two people I want to follow, and that's Mika for identity and Yang for just like trying to be a person, trying to be yeah, not, not trying to be a person because like they they talk about that, but trying to have an identity. Mm-hmm. I feel as though Jake and Kira need are to the just, least interesting just people. need they're the least interesting people and need to be sort of like this backbone of they have their thing. Yeah. Kira has. They both kind of have their work. Like Akira has kind of like the family, and 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 her like her work is is important. But like I mean, her I don't know family what she does, but yeah. But the family asks. But she feels like she has everything controlled. The afterlife discussion is easily the worst part of this movie. 
where Kira and Yang discuss like talking about the butterflies. Well, they're talking about like the growth and what and like that to be is important to the extent of Yang saying like I'm fine with this being it because of I've had oh, this yeah, I've yeah. had this experience. But like they try to make it a Kira thing. No, and, the like, conversation the, the line that Yang delivers there is very un Yang. He it like No, where he says like if I've no, no, I don't think so. Where he says, because he's, I think he's thinking of Ada. So or Ada's. I think he is too, but it's weird. Aunt. It's weird. It That line to me seemed. It does seem seemed, ideologically did, forced. Yes, it didn't seem supported by, because everything else he said is supported by the idea that his knowledge base is limited to like what it is. And he won't, he, up until that point, he won't form opinions on things he doesn't know about. Yeah, but. And this is, seems like so. Does he is this is he saying the reason? I guess I found that line it was troubling to use your word, but also kind of maybe worked think, a little bit. Like maybe he does know, but if he doesn't know, then that's like selling out. But almost. I think, like I jumping think the shark. no, no, I, no, no, no. But I think it makes sense because I think he remember the way I read that afterwards when you get that like that beautiful sequence with. Um, Asuka Matsumiya's score behind it where, you know, Jake looks at the memory bank and, like, th- this is what reminds me of Ghost Story is all the memories of, like, Ada mm-hmm. from beforehand. Like, when she's the caretaker. Yep. And for me, when he says, like, can I be truthful? To, like, can I be honest with you? Mitch is like, can you not be honest? And mm-hmm. it's like, he says, like, I don't think so, no. Because he, I think he just remembers it. He's, he's like, if this is it, that's enough. It's mm-hmm. because I think he thinks back to Ada. Mm. I hope so. That's the way I took it. Yeah. Because I think the most interesting story here is Mika and Yang's search for purpose, right? Because in the end of the story, like when they say Yang can't be on display, we got to say his existence mattered. But Yang's existence did matter to him because he had love. Yeah. But like, unfortunately for me, like the reason, like that's, so fucking beautiful and like that moves me and like that works so well but like to have like Jake and Kira kind of like bumbling it up yeah I agree like doing their own thing I'm just like we spend too much time with Jake doing this like I I think the um, I think the tea conversation's fun and interesting but that's Jake's purpose Jake found his purpose through like well is it a Werner Herzog documentary he's talking about by the way it might be yeah because I didn't look at, but uh, he does a Werner Herzog, a great fucking Werner Herzog yeah, yeah. impersonation there. Um, my, um, but my favorite thing about all those conversations is is um, Justin Min and his reaction to like oh, how yeah. he's perceiving like what these people are talking about. But it's a search for identity, right? Absolutely. And, like, but like it doesn't become about Yang's search for identity. It doesn't become about Mika at all. Like, and those are your two most important people in the through line yeah, of this movie. Because every those time two people. Mika says. Um, Guy Guy, like, you know, and she cries for him and, like, whatever. You know that her depth of, of feeling for Yang is... And she does it incredible. Like, the actress... Fantastic. Ma, is, Ma, uh, I can't say her last name. I'm is, sorry. Um, you know, exponentially greater than whatever Jake is feeling. I, if I she's struggling with identity. I didn't have, if, I, if I didn't have to... We spent a little too... Again, we spent a little too much time watching Colin Farrell, like, in sunglasses. Little, a little too much. You know what I mean? We spent what? a little too much time watching um, Jody Turner Smith, like on a screen, like say a thing. Like they should be the ones. Colin Jake needs to be like struggling with like trying to bring Yang back for Mika, 
Jody Turner Smith maybe should just be the one saying like, "Hey, let's bring this like let's move on." Sort yeah, of thing. because it was like, weird. They need to be propelling action. I don't need character from them. They need to be propelling the action yep. of or the character growth of Yang and Mika. To that point, to bring it back to our conversation about everything, everywhere, all at once, is like that whole Michelle Yeoh being like really kind of resistant to like the facts here. I mean, that there's how there's no reason for that. There's no real reason for Colin Farrell to be like withholding of any aspect no. of the Yang thing. He just but I, is. He also just feels like a rounded character from the beginning. Like our first introduction to him, when he's talking about tea, it's like, I guess I can make you something that's like crystal tea. Feels like somebody who has his thing. Yeah. Right? I think, and then Koganon is a good enough director where I think if he actually cut out a lot of stuff and just like made if we could get a real quick understanding of like we don't need the conspiracy theory guy we don't need like the apple store guy we don't need any like the drama of figuring the yang thing out the drama comes from uncovering yang's memories not the quest for not the quest to uncover the idea that yang could have memories that need to be uncovered or or if you want to have jake do something or have some growth it's just like make him like not so human centrist and like that's like side the idea that he hates clones he hates clones and he's kind of like weird about the techno thing to some light degree Mm. or whatever like make that a little more prominent but instead like he finds out ada is a clone he's like okay cool you know and it's just like but like but he's trying to find this like own personal growth and it's like i don't buy that he needs it yeah um i still think it's like it's beautiful the the moments that the the thing that hits in terms of Yang's growth and in terms of Mika's growth. Like Mika sings oh, it's the song. The I think it's also a Mitski song, maybe. Yeah. No, it's a is it a Mitski or a Rai song? Might be a Rai song. It's one of those two. But when she sings the song, at the, the end song, or in the middle? Yeah, yeah, in the end. Uh, I thought that was Mitski. Maybe. Yeah, it's Rai also did a song. I think it is. Um, but like that's gorgeous and beautiful, and like that is why like it's it's a fucking great movie. It just feels like it has a lack of control that Columbus had. Like, Columbus felt like a video essayist making a movie. This feels like a director making a movie. And mm. I guess that's why it's, I don't love it as much as I love Columbus. Mm-hmm. It's like you're so... Everything in Columbus is so purposeful. And this is, like, a little looser, which is fine. Like, you know. Yeah. Who am I to say? I don't fucking know what I'm doing. Yeah. I can barely tie my shoes. Is but that true? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like, so like the sneaky little snake that I am, I break the rules here and I have, I have two number ones cause like, you know, this is halfway through the year. I'm gonna have to do multiple viewings of both these movies and figure out what I like. Oh yeah. Um, and that's why my two number ones are Father Stew and Jurassic <laughs> World Dominion. So what what which, one you, which one do you want to talk about first? Let's get Father, Father Stew out of the, the way. way. Yeah, well. So Mark Wahlberg really tear into Dominion. You know, he just he's, gets crippled and boxes and then becomes a priest. He boxes. He's so good. I think he's like a former boxer. I didn't see that movie. Uh, no, but I do have two number ones. I did see that movie. <laughs> yeah. Did not also see Jurassic World Dominion. I'm sorry. Uh, Colin Trevorrow. Enjoy Burlington, Vermont. It's beautiful. He's fine. Yeah, he's he's good. His movies keep making all the money. That movie did do really well. Yeah. And he doesn't. I don't. I don't even really think they're trying to make all the money. Book of Henry did is. not make any money. No, but he doesn't care. He's allowed to do that. Uh, no, so I I do have two number ones. Um, and I don't know which movie I prefer yet. 
Uh, both of them devastated me in very different ways. So we'll get the one that's the more obvious devastation out of the way. Uh, and that is the Golden Lion, the winner from last year. It is Audrey Dewan's Happening. Um, it takes place in early 1960s France and is a really successful literature student. She is preparing for her exams to get into university. Um, and she happens to get pregnant um, until 1975, I believe. Uh, abortions in France were utterly illegal. Um, and a doctor helping or performing an abortion could go to prison. Anybody mm-hmm. Aiding and abetting a person with an abortion could go to prison. And so unlike the kind of films of the similar veil we've dealt with, we've seen recently. Are you referring um, to unpregnant? No, I'm referring, never, (laughs) sometimes, always, or four months, three days, three weeks, and two days. Not unpregnant? Well, unpregnant also. (laughs) Actually, to be fair, unpregnant also kind of follows the same track. Rehab somebody helping. We have a friend. Carlos Esposito. Jean Carlos Esposito. Jean Carlos Esposito, yeah. <laughs> Carlos, Carlos? I don't know what the fuck is that. Um, is here, he... here, Anne's completely alone. She's basically by herself in dealing with the fact that she's pregnant. She doesn't want the child. She decides. She doesn't want the fetus. She decides early on that she doesn't want the fetus. Because it's not a fucking kid. Um, I and, love that in this movie. that It's, it's not like... Four months. It's like three weeks. Three weeks, yeah. Five weeks. And it basically deals with her troubles in terms of um, finding a way to abort this cancer inside of her body. Uh, Because she doesn't want it, and that's what it is. Um, This movie doesn't hold back in any way whatsoever. There are three very traumatic sequences where Anne first tries to perform a self-abortion, which fails Mm -hmm. um, because which is the scene that angers me the most in this film where she finds out that the one doctor gave her a drug to strengthen the fetus. Mm. Um, Second, she has a um, basically a back alley abortion attempt, uh, which also does not hold because of some piece of shit guy um, and eventually is able to abort the fetus uh, into a um, toilet. Um, the reason this, this film works for me so much is like it is never, ever outside of the one doctor who's established firmly as a fucking piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Unapologetic in the fact of like, yeah, I don't want this. It doesn't ever question that. It questions the fact, the legality of it. Anybody not trying to help her is doing so because of the fact that it's illegal, mm-hmm. right? It, it is a, it, there's never any sort of moral question nope. about it. And it also never dips into like um, a horrible like legal thriller. Mm. Like no one's calling the cops. There are no lawyers. No, it's just everyone's avoiding it because of the fact right. that they will go to prison for helping right. Um, and so we just watch Anne played by Anna Maria uh, Vartomilia, who's fucking fantastic excellent, in yeah. this, like just ridiculously good, um, to struggle with this and the cinematography by, um, Lenart 
Tangi. Probably did the name wrong. Just everything is they get a shorter aspect ratio and everything's so tight. Mm-hmm. And so it's constantly claustrophobic because she feels as though like the world's coming in at her because she has nowhere to go. Right. Um, meanwhile, she's just dealing with the impending traumas and the impending travails of a person who's 20-ish years old. I don't know if they ever establish her age, but she's dealing with the fact that she wants to get in the university, so she become, she wants to become a teacher originally, and then eventually she wants to become a writer. Mm-hmm. And this is just, for me, um, and like even regardless of the bullshit that happened this week, which I am going to ignore this review because it's important for like why it's here. But it's another two hours I don't want to get into. Mm. Um, It is 100% just about like her trying to resolve the problem and she's alone. But it's her like just trying to just do things and the system being against her and everyone else not being able to help her because of it. And it's horrific. It is not, like, I love never, really, sometimes, always, but the abortion sequence, you know, is in in a perfectly controlled environment because that's how it is. Mm -hmm. She gets knocked out. She has the abortion. And then this, she's not, right? And you see it all, and you deal with it, and you get to watch Anna Maria, just the actress, uh, Vartamia, and just struggle with it without an aesthetic being told like if you scream or shout at all I will stop and just deal with it and be there and it there's a, doesn't there's a weird ever cranking motion away. that happens in that scene a weird what like she's like cranking something oh like yeah that, that, that you know woman who's performing the the procedure there that is not a thing that's supposed to be happening oh no and and, and, <laughs> and the fact that anytime she makes this Anytime, like, Anne makes a, like, kind of, like, a thing and, like, she stops. The, yeah. the woman performing the abortion stops just to, like, stare, like, stare angrily at her. Be like, well, and I, it's, I mean, it's, this movie is, again, it's, we've dealt with a lot of really well-written movies um, so far in this conversation. I think this movie is really well-written because it kind of gives you a sense I think this movie's close to what perfectly constructed. I think so. Um, all that, all the stuff that you know about it pays off in this scene in that, you kind of get a sense without really knowing that you have a sense of what she has to do to make this happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like she doesn't get far enough with the hot needle. She's using the first time she tries to perform like a, you know, the drugs don't do anything, but when she tries to perform that self abortion, she just scratches mucous membranes and that's where like the blood comes from. Um, so you get this sense of like, it was the line, there's so much blood or something like that. Yeah. And he's, he's like, well, it's just this. It's a brain, yeah. Um, you get the sense that what she has to, there's something she has to break through, like the woman performing the procedure, to make this happen and what that could mean. Because she's not doing it with like a, you know, fucking foot-long poker that she sterilized yeah, with a, like a, a, a lighter. You know what I mean? So she's doing it with this unfortunate crank machine that looks like it's... She's know. putting a basically a tube up. She has to place a second tube up yeah. later. Um, because the abort... Because Yeah. but it's So all that stuff... Pay, you don't know that it's going to pay off 
and you even when it's happening, you don't know what's paying off. Yeah, and, but you have a sense of this of it gives you a sense of the stakes and the thing and the that the thing pain that, and the thing that so much this. works about this too is like the world's against her, both in the sense of like the typical pieces of shit friend not friends but pieces of shit co roommates or whatever cohabitants in the dorm basically thinking she's a slut not because she's pregnant but because they think she's just she's presented that she sleeps with multiple people and mm-hmm. so they're like when they look at the needle marks in the shower they say like oh is that syphilis yeah or whatnot um or even like the first doctor who is sympathetic and understands her plight but is can't do anything legality was or the teacher when she says like um you know when she says like the only the disease that only affects women like mm-hmm. you get like there's there's this level of she's so alone um but there's never any guilting on it there's never any guilt of like what she's doing is wrong and then some of those people come back to like they all understand yeah and they all like most of those people sympathize with it and they're like yeah you're in the right like there's never any questioning that she's in the wrong mm-hmm. it's a fucking system that tells her she's in the wrong yeah um but the thing that and that's that's what you see often in these kinds of films yeah but what makes this film for me so much better is the brutality of it mm-hmm. it's 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 gross and unfortunate and not unfortunate no unfortunate makes it sound like random chance so it's gross for at, her no, that like she has no, to no, go no, unfortunate, no, no, I, I want to say this. Unfortunate is the wrong word. It is oppressive and evil, mm. the thing she's going through. Yeah. Because of awful human beings who ha- lack any sort of empathy. Mm-hmm. That's all I'll say about that. Yeah, yeah. Six people. Um, and it, it just works in so many levels because it is so... Matter of fact, it is so brutal. It is so alone. Yeah. It's um, so individual when it shouldn't be individual. It should be like a collectively like, yeah, let's this for anybody I could not for most for a lot of people, this would be a hard thing to go through if it were not the walls you're facing. Yeah. And sure. I mean she it faces never, every wall. sometimes always kind of does sets the same thing up. I mean the walls are Less, but never really. Less so physical, always more bureaucratic. Yeah, and it's a it's twenty. It's, it's a twenty twenty perspective versus a twenty well, so, twenty two perspective. And I'm right? gonna be. I guess so. I'm gonna be. I mean, I guess yeah. It's this movie also is so high up because it's it's prescient, right? It's, yeah, and I I think part of my if I'm pushing back at all on this movie, it's not in its quality because I think it's excellent, and I think um, the woman that plays Anne. Anne, right? Yeah, Anna Maria is uh, Varta Lemay. I apologize. Completely She's a actress, fantastic. The the um, ebbs, the way that her emotions kind of she gets down and then she finds these like peaks, short peaks of like relief as she thinks she might have found an answer, and her face changes. But also like breathing strength through that character throughout the entire thing. Sure, sure, sure. But I'm just talking yeah, about like whatever. Was, you know, I understand like, what you're saying, but like. Uh, she's I'm, carrying two emotions. It's, no, but it's she's impressive. strong the whole thing. But the idea that like she keeps getting down, like her grades suffer. She's not answering questions in class anymore after she nailed the answer the first time. It's very typical, like the way that they frame this stuff. Amorphism. I've um, never even heard that term. She by the way. kind of her 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 whole being changes, like um, as her situation 
progresses. So she becomes more like she becomes more wide eyed. And I love the fact they didn't do anything to her to her body really. Like they didn't like try to say like you're getting no one's like, oh you're getting fat. No one's like her mom says she looks pale, but it's very soon after she realized that she might be but so you, actually even before I think she finds out she is pregnant. Um she just doesn't feel good. Yeah. And she goes to the doctors like the next day and she gets confirmed like you're pregnant and she even tells them that she hasn't had sex and stuff like that. Um, it's a very physical performance outside of the moments where she has to be physical. My, the thing I'm brushing up against, against this movie is that like, I'm not sure what unpregnant is a stupid movie. Um, at least it takes place now. There's no reason for this movie to take place in 19. Well, because I guess, but who well, cares? Who gives a shit? Well, France legalized abortion up to 15 weeks um, in 1975. Then who cares? Because it's, I mean... I guess, but she wasn't making it because she perceived that in 2020 America was going to be the stupidest well, country no, in the world. No, even when, you, like, you Argentina see, and Ireland... No, and the idea could there. be, you could see the writing on the wall that some countries would be trying to pull those back, right? Sure. I don't get the impression that she made this movie because of that, though. Um, there's a little bit of... I mean, of it's, also, it's also a adaptation of um, a novel. Oh, I mean, um, whatever. From... And I... Or now, it's apparently written. I've never read any of this stuff, but is it new or is it like? No, it's a old novel. It's like a twenty-year-old. Oh, okay, novel. good. Um, that's. I mean, that's that's it. This the idea that like, oh, this is you know, when some people were writing, I read some like a few reviews of it, um, and they were just kind of like, you know, oh, it's as press. You know, the situation is as important now as it was back then. Well, yeah, it's it's more important now because it's now, and like this woman's like suffering isn't mitigated by the fact that it was in the past. Um, I just, there's, there, I want to, I want to, I don't want to wrap my hands around this politically. I want to wrap my hands around this as a character, and I do. Um, but I think it's, I think this movie, I think something like this would benefit. I think, I'm, I think the American version of this movie needs to be this and not Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Because Never Rarely, Sometimes Always deals with like how it feels like emotionally to like have yeah. to go through this. And I think what they need to see is well, someone that they can recognize themselves, not a, a French girl from the 1960s, but like themselves having to go through this and saying like, what would I do? What would I like my state? What would I like my, my primary care physician? What would I like my parents? What would I like my friends? to say in reaction to my, like, what should be a very well, easy thing, but yeah. they're turning into something, like, you know, stick I mean, this in a shit. Perfect, in a perfect world, we don't need an American adaptation of this movie because the people who support anti-abortion right. rights have so, watched and read enough things to realize the fact that they don't need something to be sympathetic In for. a perfect world, I get to appreciate the work that this actress is doing, and the work that you had said before, like the cinematographer and the director are doing to make this character's emotions the singular thing that this movie is hinging on. Her or her entire existence. And instead, I have to sit through and think about like the modern mach- the, the modern prescience of like what this movie means and like the greater scheme of like how dumb So what's, what's a French ma- filmmaker supposed to do though? A French filmmaker is going to tell it from their perspective. Absolutely. I, but like they're going to watch... 
they're going to see like the emotional perspective of never really sometimes always and unpregnant quote unquote um and want to make something that's more body right yeah, make yeah, something that's for more sure tactile um and i say that loosely because i'm not a woman I, that's the best way i could say it um like she can only tell it from her own perspective of like hey this is what I have, like, from this reading of this well, book, this is what I imagine it being like, and hey, the world has a whole... I agree with you. I'm just... It's... it's. I agree with you from 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 a, a, a film standpoint, I think it excels. It's... it's um, my feelings about it were butted up. I think your feelings... It opened it for you a little bit. Yeah, it, it closed yeah. it for me a little bit. I was just kind of like, I, I don't want this. I want something else. I want this exact movie in a different context... So people can like realize, like, because if they're gonna realize the thing, it, if they were gonna realize, no, it they're never gonna realize it. It's never gonna win. Like this movie, a, a movie is not gonna change anybody's mind. But the thing that I butt up against all the time is that we keep people that support, sure, anti like pro life don't watch movies, don't read books, they don't care about anything. They don't care about any of this stuff. But the thing they that I read butt one up book, all the time is that their own book that they say they read also talks about abortion, sure, as a legal thing. Well, it's like I work at a library and they... God, you know, could you imagine actually reading the Bible and following it? Ooh, that's... that's yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm always... And you can ask my wife, I always have this conversation with her. Like, I'm, I'm really kind of sick of giving, like, the other side opportunities to, like, disregard things. So this movie doesn't have any play for anyone that doesn't think like you and me. Because they're going to be like it's in nineteen sixty. Doesn't no, no. Like, it's like it's, we're, we're, at, we're past. We're post human, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. There's like humans, and then there's human. We're humans. No, that's what I'm saying. That's what I, that's what oh, okay. I just was saying. Yeah, like, um, human beings who right. have empathy. Yes yes, 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 Could watch this, and they other people that have no empathy will be like, she's French. It takes place in nineteen sixty. You know, she oh, lives in the country. No, they blah, they blah, blah. would say this. Oh, uh, they don't realize that the French. Also have abortion bans after fifteen weeks, so yep. like maybe they're not over the fuck. Yeah, you know what I'm they're saying. They're just all bad agents. I just, I, 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 I we're really getting off the topic. We're we off the topic. Of this. We, yeah. did. <laughs> we did. Um, and that's something that I have of, not done. What I said I was gonna possibly do if I drank too much, which is good. I'm doing it. Um, I just, the, you just said bad agents, bad actors, whatever. Giving weapon, allowing them to weaponize the context of a movie to like prove their point and disprove. Your point, just based on like the nationality of the characters in the movie, makes me want to die, and that's kind of what I felt watching this movie. Was so frustrated that like this movie can't be weaponized for good in this godforsaken piece of shit country. It can only be weaponized like for evil. <coughs> oh no! I, I and think, that bugs no, I, know, I, know, I think I, I think this could be weaponized for not good, but I. Don't think it has to be weaponized for evil. I need. I think I need. What I need is time. I also would, would also well, do say. You need, do you need a diving bell? Yeah. <laughs> I am. Um, you like me trying to? <laughs> I love the idea. Segue. <laughs> I love the idea. So she's. If we're making our lists, and you know, you're keeping track of this stuff. She's on my best actress list, and this is on she's, my she's, best adapted screenplay list. If it's adapted from a book, she's my. She's 100%. easily my best actress. So yeah. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't like those. I just have like a vague list. I have a vague list too, but like she's or she's not moving. Like, no, she's, she's not coming. Like spoilers, she's not coming on. She's our 
Well, so she's both of our bets. So there you go. If you're keeping track and betting on DraftKings, because by the end of the year we'll have a DraftKings like. What if that's bowl. true? Well, then DraftKings probably won't ask that question. <laughs> DraftKings messed up bad. <laughs> yeah, DraftKings were like, is she on her actresses <laughs> list? Oh shit! Well, everyone's getting thirty cents, I guess. Um, but that's my feeling. All right, what's your number one? We are we are cresting. Zoom it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It uh, regardless, uh, my number one. In addition to the happening, um, to happening, not the happening. Is that a M. Night Shyamalan? Yeah, the happening. It, well, it's the interesting thing. Like you had happening and the happening, so a really well respected movie, and a very badly recepted movie. Yeah. And then room and the room. Oh yeah. Just take out the uh, article. Uh, so my co-number one is um, Jared Carmichael's yeah featured directorial debut. Um, after his groundbreaking, I guess, Netflix or HBO Max uh, comedy special, which I didn't see. What was that one called? Uh, Rathaniel. Rathaniel. I didn't see it. Um, it is on the count of three. Um, I mean, this is really like a Henry Winkler vehicle, right? <laughs> I mean, kind of. Technically, really, my number one is a Henry Winkler vehicle, but it, we just don't talk about TV shows here. Oh, yeah. I don't even like that show, and I respect the absolute motherfucking Christ out of those last couple episodes. Oh, you watch that? I hate that show. Really? But I love That's it. my favorite show of all time. I, I think it's the best made show ever, but I think it's also the stupidest show. We're talking about Barry, by the yeah. way. Episodes like the episode six where he drives through the cars. Fantastic, the greatest the thing sound ever. design. Well, not even that. It's that like, that he's going to be a great director when, when they get to the down. when they get to the scene where like it's the the shad like the silhouettes on top of like the. Talk about Barry ship. season three. By the way, Barry yeah. season three would be my number one thing of the entire year. Um, but we're not talking about TV. Yeah, shows. Sally would Sarah Goldberg would. She's she has actress. to be she has to win the Emmy for that, right? I, I doubt it very much. This you think Ted so? Lasso shit is like... This is uh, my fault. This is, no, that Ted Lasso's a cop. Yeah. Do you think they put Barry in comedy? Barry, Barry is running. No, Barry is running comedy. It's already... It's already what? They're running comedy. Yeah. Barry should run drama. No, they're running That's comedy. That's bullshit. Um, yeah, when the silhouette, when like he shoots the people and all the people are like, ah, and then like they all go back into the thing and he just starts whistling and drives away well, again. It. Like when he's also going through like we're going to take a couple minutes here for Barry talk. Uh, when he goes, so you watch, you've watched all the seasons. Yeah. Yeah. So when he's, I don't know how you hate it. Um, Cause I think I, the, like the whole conceit of like the serial, the, the, the killer thing, I think is uh, lazy garbage. And I, hate, I agree. I, I just don't like any movie or anything that has like, I love how the season ends. The though. killer like, stuff. I, I kind of wish the show's over. I don't, look forward to season four well i hope he's the feeling i get from listening I to him talk about it is that he's feel, not going to be in it very much i, I don't feel think. as oh really i think it's going to be a sally season i think she's oh. going to go to joplin and so bury like her ex whatever her ex-husband ex-boyfriend the guy that maybe played by maybe just play it by bill Hader again maybe that'd be interesting but how do we get uh how do we get henry Winkler in that He's in it. Gene. We need Gene. Um, no, yeah, no. Barry's like my favorite thing yeah. of the past year. Like that entire sequence where he stares at Chris and he smiles at him and Chris kind of like Chris being the guy he killed in season one. Mm-hmm. Fucking fantastic. Yeah. Like all that. Just the 
episode six, this, seven, and eight of that thing. Yeah, just episode eight. Episodes eight is is great from a violence perspective too, because you get that sequence where Sarah or um, Sally Sally kills um, the 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 after that great like eye sequence was like he poked me in the eye and yeah, yeah. after he's been stabbed in the back Love of the it. brain and so it cuts out you see her beating the guy to death and then later on when uh, noho hank is hearing the panther kill the guy but you don't see it yeah like the good like juxtaposition of violence god damn like well, technically those that show is fucking perfect. oh my god i mean the 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 people so the um, I didn't think you watched Barry at all. People coming into the scenes in the background was like the theme of like the last episode. So like Noho Hank comes in when they're trying to like de-gay Cristobal. The conversion. And he's like, in, you know, he's just kind of like walking in the background. And then what's the other scene when that happens? It happens in another scene too. And like the person just kind of like coming in the background. They don't see them. It's like the same kind of thing. Well, you see like the police coming. This is episode eight. It's episode eight, and there's like something that happens that like linked to that idea, like exactly, which linked to Sally in the last episode, like moving backwards out of the screen. So these people are moving into like the thing, so you're and she's like, moving out of it. So you're like episode like five and all that, like where Barry loses his shit on her, and like the one like episode the three, yeah, 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 is that three? Yeah, three, yeah, like all oh, that entire season, like the first episode's whatever, um, but like that last episode where. Oh my God! What's his the guy that he's saved the life of? The, oh, the um, FBI yeah, agent. Yeah, yeah. I forget um, his name, but yeah. And then he says like, "Barry, what are you doing?" And the way like Bill Hader just responds by fucking screaming, I'm just like, "I'm gonna die here," but like I deserve it. And like the way he just like unloads is perfect. Was well, I love the idea that like that happens and it seems like he's gonna change. And then immediately it's not. Immediately yeah. he's just like, I can I can get out of this. And that's really The entire show is just about him going like I can get out of this. But it's all about but for me the entire show is about like identity and like he's keeps trying to he keeps thinking he's found it and he wants to protect it. And the only way that he knows how to protect anything is to fucking kill it. Or to kill the thing that's trying to prevent him from like being who he knows he can be. Yeah, which and so now at the end of that episode, he's like, "Oh, I'm going to be a great boyfriend. I'm going to like take Sally away, and we're going to do whatever." Blah blah blah. And then, you know, I'm going to save Gene. And the second that he's taken a, the thing that makes that great is the second he's taken away, and Gene is the one that did it. And Gene stares at him. Gene killed Barry. Oh yeah, right. And, so, I, and that's why I it's hope, like an ego death thing. Yeah, and that's why I hope cool. it's, I, I, I hope it sticks. I mean, Barry cannot, as far as I'm concerned, Barry cannot survive this show. No, I think I think I I honestly would be surprised if the show lives up after. I think it should have been. I think that was a perfect. I'm getting Dexter season four vibes from it. Where like mm. the end of Dexter season four, where Trinity kills. Yeah, um, yeah. I forgot the act, uh, Rita. Like that's a perfect series finale, and then like, this kept going for four more seasons. I'm I have a fear. I think he's smart enough to not do that, and I know that he said he doesn't have to make HBO. He doesn't I think, have I to think do he's planning anything. like five seasons. I thought that's what I heard yeah. too, but I also heard he didn't have to do anything. So it's it's very much like um, Larry David and Curb Your Enthusiasm. Like whenever he's ready to make another season, like they'll make another season. Yeah, and apparently if it, they're and if it takes a season now, right? Yeah, and if it takes ten years, it takes ten years. They don't care. Um, 
So the fact that they're making the season now leads me to believe that he's got like an idea. He's yeah. not going to fuck this up. But again, he's got me. I'm not the ideal viewer. But I'm also ready for him to be done with the show to like move on to movie. For sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because but, I think Barry, I think the character of Barry is very limited and he gets that. Yeah, but Bill Hader's also like a super accomplished. Like he knows what the fuck he's doing. Oh my doing. god, that episode six with the ch- the chase and all that shit is un- unbelievable. Yeah. Speaking of which, moving on about people who worked for HBO as a director and knew what they were doing. My number one is uh, Jared Carmichael's uh, directorial debut of On the Count of Three. Um, Jared Carmichael plays Val. He's kind of a blue collar worker. Uh, he works for a fertilizer yard good company basically yeah. just uh I, I don't even know what the way to describe it basically he shovels fertilizer yeah it's this is a really west coast feel in east coast city which mm-hmm. i found interesting i remember when i watched this movie and they said five guys and in my head because of the way it felt so west coast mm-hmm. i thought they said in and out and i was like there's no in and out. west coast and, how like, like west just... coast in the sense of like there's i don't know any fertilizer big box stores out mm. here I don't know. It's just like no. I don't. Something, there's something about the way these characters act that feel very California and Nevada to me. Mm. Um, his friend Kevin, played by a longtime friend of the show, Christopher Love Abbott, uh, has attempted to commit suicide uh, recently. Um, Val breaks Kevin out because Val wants to also die, and so he gives him a gun. He gives Kevin a gun. On account of three, they're going to kill each other. Kevin decides, hey, let's just make a day of it, right? Let's just have one day to do whatever the fuck we want and just do what we're going to do. A dark comedy of the darkish tint uh, begins. Um, We learn throughout the day that uh, Kevin's justification for wanting to kill himself are just not, I don't want to say justified, but they're understandable. Um, and I think that's what makes the ending of this movie work so well is is the reasons why Kevin is where he is is believable. Um, Val is in a rough spot in his life, and throughout the day we kind of learn that where Val is at the end of the day makes also sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think just for me, like the script works on every level um jared carmichael and christopher abbott have extraordinary chemistry um while we're going through kind of like their incidental travel like like trials Mm -hmm. like when they're going into the breakfast thing or and you know kevin's kind of dealing with the old bully um you kind of get a sense of like, oh, okay, whatever. But then as the day continues and we learn about Val's abusive father, played by J.B. Smooth, who's usually not a good actor, in my opinion. Love J.B. Smooth. But he... Do you usually like J.B. Smooth typically? Well, he just is like he's JB himself Smooth, and then usually. Leon and Kirby the, Enthusiasm. But like he's that. like a new piece of shit here. Like oh, yeah, Leon. he doesn't usually do what, this. What's, what I love about this movie is like two actors who are usually just like doing their thing become gigantic pieces of shit mm. and they do it well. Because mm-hmm. Henry Winkler, when has Henry Winkler ever played a bad guy? Yeah. And he plays a fucking monster in this. And then like the two scenes he has mm-hmm. does it extraordinarily well. Yeah. Like in that last scene 
I'll, I'll get to it. Um, as we follow them throughout their day, we learn... We start out kind of like wondering why Kevin is where he is, and we don't necessarily understand it, and then we kind of get there. And at first we're like, okay, we kind of get why Val is where he is, because he's like stuck in life, but then we undo it, mm-hmm. in a way. Um, I don't know usually of Tiffany Haddish, but her scene with him... It's good. It's great. Yeah. Um, where she's just like, what, you know, I'm having a baby, and whatnot, um, and like you can't just buy your way out of this. Um yeah. This this movie just like hit me on cuz it's it is a two-person film and I'd never seen anything with Jared Carmichael. I didn't know anything about it special. Um I branded this movie on a very stoned Friday night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Parents, I don't do drugs. <laughs> Only weed, don't worry. Um using stone fruits. <laughs> yeah, stone fruits. Yeah, peaches and THC. <laughs> um, and I was like, I know this movie's going to be like rough because it comes with like a warning, like before you watch it. At least I don't know when you watch it, it come with like that, like warning beforehand. I think so. Yeah, uh, which is smart. And like anytime Jared Carmichael's kind of like talked about this film, he says like I don't want to talk about this without like offering like a warning. Like this is a movie, but like if you're in a position. Mm-hmm. Um, the chemistry between these two people, between Jared Carmichael and between Christopher Rabbit, so strong, and they dedicate themselves so much to the kind of pathos and arc that their characters take that when we finish where it does, and just like that climactic sequence in kind of the quarry, like I broke down in that mm. scene. Where just like Christopher Abbott has the gun after they've, you know, they've killed Harry Winkler's Dr. Brenner. And Kevin's just like, you don't come back from this. And Val's just telling him, I don't want to die. Because it, the entire script has built up to the fact that like, Val instinctively like wants to die. Like he just kind of like, he has a, not instinctively, he, bad mo- he's had a bad moment. He's had, he's had yeah. a bad, hard moment. He's yeah. like, this is an easy out. But then the rest of the day he's like, no, I don't. Whereas, like, the entire time with Kevin, it's just like, yeah. It's not justifying it, but it's completely understandable why he is where he is. And Abbott's selling of that sequence, where he just, like, says, I don't, like, Val says, I don't want to die. And Abbott, like, as Kevin just kind of, like, looks at the at the helicopters and the cars, is just like, what? And then finally he just does this, like, mm-hmm. sort of thing. And it's this heartbreaking sequence I haven't seen a film in recent memory that earns such a crazy dark moment as well as this movie did hmm. for me because of the fact that like you understand why Kevin kills him because he kills himself in the end. Yeah. You completely understand why he did. Uh-huh. Like it doesn't try to say like, Oh, there could have been another out or anything. It's just like everything that happened to him and everybody that tried to help him was completely off base and, Obviously, he shouldn't have shouldn't have killed himself, quote unquote. Like, yeah. I know, but we, you know why. But also, he's an empathetic character because he's like he understands in the last moment, like, oh yeah, Val's not in the same place I am, but like here, here I am. 
Um, yeah. Well, they, he never. I, I don't think he ever thought that Val was in the same place he was because I think the thing that we no he just wanted he wanted a partner he wanted a well, friend he, he wanted a friend he yeah wanted, I get the yeah. impression that he thought that he could maybe before everything got out of control he thought that I think Val wanted to do he could probably I think do. I think I think at the end no I think what makes the end kind of it's it's gross to say beautiful but it is is that is for a second he thinks Val's not his friend. And he realizes Val is his friend, but is not where he is, right? Well, because so what I was going to say is that we're, so he doesn't feel alone, right? At well, the end. In, yeah, he's not alone. They they, they both have a, a scene where they say that they love each other and like you know that per, other person is beautiful and blah, blah blah. But like Kevin is only in Henry Winkler's office is because he's depressed. So even before he gets molested, yeah. Or like sexually assaulted or whatever, he's depressed. As a chemical he's a depressed yeah. kid, yeah. So like his. When I say, I think the thing that I think is interesting in this movie is that if he had killed himself in the first two minutes of the movie, you would have been like, "All right, like, good, good for him," because his life is terrible. Um, but then the world is always constantly kind of against him. The world is always kind of against him, and, and he's and I think that's the thing that is interesting. Um, that's why you like do you like this movie? It was okay. Yeah. Um, I didn't respond to it like the way you did. I there was like an uh, there was an interesting aspect of it which I thought like was underexplored, which is like the illness identification aspect of the what the idea illness identification. It's the idea that like Val really just kind of and Kevin fully yeah. he knows what Kevin's done, but he doesn't understand like necessarily why. He knows the consequences of killing yourself, which means that you are dead and don't have to deal with any of your problems anymore. But I don't think he understands like the depth of Kevin's problems. I think by killing Henry Winkler and then like beating the shit out of his dad um, and like running from the cops is like this really kind of interesting juxtaposition to like, it puts those things, it's a, it's a different kind of stakes. You know what I mean? Like you don't come back from this. You don't come back from being chemically depressed as a kid and being sexual, sexually assaulted. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, you don't Kevin, come back Kevin from himself, Kevin says that himself. Like, Ke- in that right. last scene, he says, Kevin, like, you don't come back from this, Kevin is what he says to to do Val. any of those things to want, to, to have to have a reason to kill himself. But now Val really does have a reason. You know what I mean? Before he didn't have, like, a reason per se. Now he has a reason. And he's still like, I'm going to ride See, this out. There's a reason to live because right, exactly. Natasha wants to have a child, wants right. to have a child. Um, and it's, you know, and so that, I thought that last scene was, was um, like yeah. the last last scene when they were in jail was like really interesting too, I don't, where he yeah. seems like pretty happy. Um, yeah, no, and I agree. I, I don't really know why I respond so much to this movie. I'm not, like nothing with it connects with me like on an emotional level, but mm-hmm. I don't know why. I guess because it logically follows. Well, okay, I, it's so. I think it's really an empathetic movie. As someone who has tried to do this a couple of times, I get the idea that like life is just really hard sometimes, and it seems like it's like the easiest way out of a situation. And so, one of the things that like people say a lot that have tried to like commit suicide and like have failed, um, especially if you have like kids and stuff like that, is like kids really kind of take away your like you're out. And so I've like experienced this too, where like I feel like the thing that I always banked on being there available for me if things were just really shitty 
like doesn't exist anymore. And that's like a hard trauma to kind of like, that's like a trauma in and of itself to know that like this thing that you've kind of always just like been aware of in like the back of your mind, well, like I've done it twice so I can just try it again. Yeah. Like you don't want to try it again because like now you have, and so we've experienced like real trauma in my family. So that's even hammered at home even deeper. I mean, the, the nail was already flush against the wood and now you're taking like a pick and like, hammering it lower than the wood you know what i mean so it's like in there so it's never going to move norm abrams just digging in there yeah but it's like it's real it's like it's like a real that's like a real thing so i part of maybe my own history with it i knew that val wasn't serious like as soon as he said it yeah and i got that perspective you know what i mean yeah yeah and so and i I felt kevin was serious and i think the only i think the reason i didn't connect with it was that the rest of the movie i thought betrayed Kevin's mental health issues a little bit. Whereas, like, it focused too heavily on these incidents. Like, the bully, he beats up the garbage can, fine. The idea that he might go back to kill the bully, like, beating up J.B. Smoove and, like, the fish and, like, taking whatever cash was in there. Um, The motorbike stuff, you know what I mean? Like, him hurting his leg on the motorbike, like, stealing from the thing. Like, Kevin is really in, like, a He's in a bad place. I, I see. I took that as like, and once again, this is somebody who like doesn't necessarily I get it. But like, I, I took those as like dopamine rush sort of moments. Absolutely, because there's nothing. There's nothing else. He knows. But I took that it. This is I took happen. it. I took it as like he was doing those dopamine rushes to get to five o'clock. And I guess I just wanted the filmmaking, or some of the things like some of the shots, maybe. Some choices to reflect. Although I guess he's the one that says like, "With wait to fight." He's the one that like. Well, because he wants it. to do this thing because he knows he's going to do it because he's been waiting. To but do he also his whole life. Uh, does he also? I also get the idea he senses Val. Doesn't I mean? That's I got what the I said idea. In the beginning. He, he senses Val doesn't want to kill yeah, himself. Absolutely, and that Val is just kind of like, oh, you know, what I mean, would I think, be good. You know, would be a good way out of this. That thing that my buddy Kevin has been doing. But the thing I love about I think the thing I really love about this movie is like that last sequence between them is like a beautiful moment of friendship. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's I think when they're I think that's where I respond like this, yeah. beyond this because as somebody who was like who's like never had any sort of suicidal ideations mm-hmm. or anything because I'm an egomaniac. Um, I do. I think I'm. I literally. I. I. I sometimes think I'm a sophist. Like I think I. I'm too egomaniac. No, I think like I sometimes <laughs> actually like when I get really high or drunk, I will like I'm the only person that exists. <laughs> I'm gonna laugh. Um, I'm like when I die, like the world ends. Um, it does in a way for you. Well, I also unfortunately I believe that it keeps going on forever and ever. Yeah, I mean, that might be preferable to, like, the sun crashing into the earth or, like, extreme famine or drought or, like, you know, some kind of new epidemic that, like, wipes everybody well, out. Well, I'm absurdist, so I just believe, like, all this doesn't make any, doesn't matter. But, like, you should make it try. Off topic. <laughs> Regardless. This is, like, um, a great off topic, though. Uh, I think I respond mostly to, like, that beautiful moment of, like, because yeah. I think it's two friends. I think that's where I respond to. It was, like, mm-hmm. two friends. Yeah, and I think that's when the movie works the best. And when they're having their when they're having mutual experiences, I think it works great. And when they're having like their own experiences, it like it feels a little forced. It, it, to to a degree, I, I kind of like the scene where um, Kevin goes to like confront or run over. I don't think he's trying to kill him, but I think he's just trying to like injure his bully. Mm. And he's like doing like the last resort thing, and he kind of goes like, "I just want to get back to my friend." At the end. Mm-hmm. 
that's that thing. I, I that's the thing I kind of like is like, I, don't know, I respond to is I feel like they're always doing something in service of their friend. Well, do you think he would have right because that and that's why he kills Henry Winkler. Do you think Kevin would have shot Henry Winkler? No, I don't think so either. No, because Kevin would have thought like, oh, this guy wouldn't have had anything. Which, by the way, really quickly, Henry Winkler's, Henry Winkler's on would not. I would not be surprised if, like, with three minutes, mm-hmm. makes my supporting actor. He doesn't he's have a, to do this movie. He's an evil fuck. Yeah. And, like, maybe, once again, we talked about Barry for a while. Like, maybe my, like, Gene Cousinot, or whatever you say his last name, his ultimate good guy performance in that is painted by this. But, like, he does one solid like he does two scenes like one scene is like a very paint by numbers villain but like mm-hmm. the second scene of him talking to kevin is so manipulatively oh my God. solid fucking villain like the re-indoctrination of like it's you know, so fucking yeah that's such a good scene yeah and when he gets like his brain's blown i'm like yeah fucking in a way it. yeah and i think that's part like of it's such it it's a weird thing to go like good it's yeah it's satisfying <laughs> even though you know it's bad for them yeah. Um, and but again, Chris, like you mentioned but, before, Chris Abbott is Chris Abbott's my what's, front runner. What's next? My front runner for what's next? My front runner for actor right now. Um, but the thing about this, like, there's there's some messiness with this, but like Jared Carmichael, I think can fucking do work because he knows people. Like he has like that. I actually don't want to see him in a movie again. I would love to see him direct a movie again. Yeah, I think he's very wooden and. He's a little wooden in this performance. And he delivers, a little, yeah, yeah, yeah. He delivers yeah, yeah, some of his, like, that yeah, yeah. speech about, like, the thing that, like, he was... He's got, of, he's got, like, a Jonathan Majors woodenness to him, though. I guess so, but Jonathan Majors has a little bit of, like, a uh, an undercurrent of, like, something could happen but here. But you know what, know, what, know what I find? You know what I find? This is going to be a big, big pull here. I, I will take this back immediately if you disagree. <laughs> I feel as though Jerry Carmichael could be a comedic Barry Jenkins. In the sense of, like, not doing as much, but, like, getting those people performances, but, like, in a looser way. Yeah, I think you could. I think you could have a better script. But, could. like, having, like, yeah. a real sort of humanity to it. Barry Jenkins is an artist, which is, like, a shitty thing to say. So Jared Carmichael is not capable of some of, like, the best stuff in Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk and Underground Railroad. But, like, I think just from a dragging humanity out of people that, like... Well, that's the, the thing, like humanity. I'm, I'm just thinking of if Beale yeah. Street. I'm not thinking of Moonlight because I don't love Moonlight, but I'm thinking no, but of like, Beale Street. The stuff. So the best parts of Barry Jenkins are the impressionistic things that don't necessarily have like a narrative. Um, I'm thinking of what's the guy's name? And Trey. What's the guy's name in Moonlight? I forget his name. Oh, I don't um, but his mom. When is it Trey? Not Trey. Trey. Maybe it's Trey. Something. Trey. Something. Um, when his mom is kind of like freaking out and there's like slow motion and there's silence and she's screaming and all this other stuff, yeah. it conveys, without having to say anything, it conveys like the chaos of this guy's childhood. So you see it, but like you don't necessarily have like a, um, uh, a sensual grasp on what that must feel like. And so Jared Carmichael is not going to do Jared that. Jared Carmichael strikes me as a Mark Duplass Barry Jenkins. Mm, Does that make I like sense? that better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Barry Jenkins of Mumblecore. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, like there's a really soft artistry in terms of interpersonal communication. This? I think it could be a more raw Lynn Shelton. Where, like, it's big hearts. But Lynn, 
Oh, Lynn Shelton. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking of Lynn Ramsey. Yes, I can agree. Lynn Shelton, yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> like, Lynn Ramsey doesn't give a shit about oh, what people are saying. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's loose and fun, but it also has, like, a super big heart. Yeah. But because he's, you know, comes from a different background, everything's going to be a little more, like, an open, more can of I an open think nerve. Carmichael Tackle what would have been a Chris Columbus movie. I think you could do it. What? Or just, like, a Chris Columbus, like, like... Like somebody would offered like somebody would offered Chris Columbus a movie, but instead they offered it to Jared Carmichael. Percy Jackson, sure. Like the third Percy Jackson. What movie. are we offering Chris Columbus anymore? <laughs> Alexander Daddario's and Logan Lerman. Is that is that? Who's yeah. In, uh, yeah, they can they can they're so young. I can buy them being. I don't think Alexander Daddario can do that movie anymore. I'd watch it. I think she's overdeveloped to play that character. <laughs> she was overdeveloped for like. She did a Percy Jackson sequel after True Detective season one. Did she one. really? I think so. Oh, I hope not. That was like the most gratuitous scene in that movie. I mean, that show. Was it? Yeah. We get did, one... I, did I ever tell you, like, this is the guy in me coming up. Do you know there's an entire subreddit that got banned called, like, that scene featuring Al- Alexander Dario from True Detective? And it was just posting gifts and pictures of well yeah because even when i was watching it for the first time i was like oh this scene definitely doesn't need to be 10 minutes long we get it yeah. but it's hbo so and now we know that carrie joji fukunaga sucks yeah he's a he, he yeah. got canceled yeah, yeah I he's a predator. god damn it fucking just if you're an accomplished director if you're like, anybody anybody just, just fucking like, stop assaulting women you i haven't since Christ. six years, I'm doing good. Uh, four years, I'm doing fine. I can't take the so, like the culture and society anymore. It hurts. I've it literally had hurts. women like talk to me, and I've been like, oh, I'm nervous. <laughs> Just we need more nervous Nellies. But they are nervous Nellies, and that's why they do it. No, no we need more nervous Nellies who like. Are we need super nervous Nellies who have no power. He's like, oh, I have a power. You can do this. No. The what the fuck does that mean? People named but Bro- like, you're People named Broccoli gave me a job. Their last name is Broccoli. There's definitely nervous Nellies who have power who just go like, I'm still nervous. Just like, could you do this? Like, they're like, do this scene for me. And it's like, the scene's over. And they're like, thank you. Or like, people just like... Be Bro- fucking... Also just... Other people are people. You piece of shit. Or like, even people like... And so I'm not going to name any women here because they're, I think, taking care of these people in these scenes. Like, I don't think that the director of Happening, I don't think the woman that played Anne was ever in a situation where she felt like this, this, any of those scenes that she was shooting were getting out of control because the female director had control over the situation. I think something I mean, like, I mean, that's to the credit of, uh, was it Mike Nichols? Like, there was new scenes of um, Natalie Portman and... Yeah. Closer and he burned it. I mean, yeah. hopefully, hopefully. I'm sure he did. On only, he did burn it, but I, hopefully, from the description of Mike Nichols now, in 2022. Right. Again, I'm July just pointing 1st. to. We're, we're going like yeah. super over here. I'm just pointing to, back to like Ty West. Just like, don't be a fucking I'm piece of. Ty, Ty West. Ty I'm West. Sure if seems, you ask, yeah. if she, I'm sure if you ask Britney Snow and Mia Goth, they'd be like, this was the situation on set. These are the people that were there. This is the. the uh, Situation, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm totally wrong on that. Maybe it was like a totally abusive set, whatever. I'm guessing from like the nature of the movie. Let's look at Gaspar Noel. There's not been 
I don't think there's been a lot of criticism against Gaspar Noel's style of directing, even though he's a really brutalist. Because he had the rough situ- director, he had the infrastructure in place to deal. Yeah, with Yeah, and things. that's that's a director to talk about because he's closest compared to Lars right. von Trier. But, does I just, have, I, but yeah. right, and I also just think that these are the people that like traditionally have not done any of those things. You know what I mean? They're the people that have. It's also we have looked at and said really like, easy not to be a piece of shit. Just like, don't that's, be but a piece that's what of we're shit. saying, right? That's what we're saying. Is you, like, know just do probably, the you know what's probably not a piece of shit? Is a guy who was a dinosaur wrangler, wrangler, but he was pretty terrible at wrangling dinosaurs. But you know what? It's easy to, to, on, to jump on that point. It's also, if that's your thing, it's easier to not be a piece of shit when the people that you're working with are made well, out of clay. Yeah. Or and maybe stuff. also pieces of shit. We don't know what Phil Tippett was doing. We don't know what Phil Tippett is doing, but we do know from listening to Phil Tippett talk about making my number one movie that he was hospitalized because of making this movie for mental, like, he had a nervous breakdown because he was making this movie. My number one movie, Mario, to your fascination, and I can't wait to talk about this for a little bit because we are crossing into three and a half hours. We're going to have to split this thing up. We get split. Um, is Phil Tippett's stop motion Hybrid animation movie, Mad God. 30 years in the making. A um, couple of Kickstarter campaigns in the middle there. Uh, this movie is classic Phil Tippett in the sense that like it's his his classic characters you've come to expect from like Star Wars and and stuff like that. Like the Rancors. Like Robocop Rank- 2 is what oh I saw. Oh my god, that. yeah. Um, they did the Rancors? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, he did the, the Tauntauns. So like famously like George Lucas contracted a bunch of people to make this stuff and he hated it. So he asked these students, Phil Tippett was one of them that were working in this animation studio, like if they had any ideas. And he was like, I have some ideas. And he was like, those are good ideas. And so, and oh, I didn't know that. Um, I literally know Phil Tippett for Robocop. Right. Which is good. Um, this movie is uh, about a blighted, a blighted world. It opens with a, a passage from Leviticus. Um, even that is stop motion, like somehow. I don't know how, but it is. It feels so raw. I love like I love this movie Mario from like the introductory credits for the shed Mad God, and it was like, oh, that's film. That's Mad God is moving around. The Tower of Babel shown. Oh, oh my god. It's the Tower of Babel, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, was what happens after that because of the Tower of Babel? Maybe. I don't know what's going on Possibly. with this movie. That's why I don't love it, but yeah. A guy in a suit descends Bell. into fucking oh. wherever into okay. the core of the world he gets shot at by cannons in the top layer that we see he's sees all this fucking crazy stuff and he goes on this adventure to i guess rescue a, a baby thing from no, another thing. no he's 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 dropping a bomb he's dropping a bomb but like so no, uh, with he's, the suitcase he's the baby he he produces oh he the is the baby yeah, right yeah. right i watched this movie three times like i can't get this stuff I, right i i literally read the plot description i watched it once because that's madness. all i could handle yeah. madness um yes I remember when i told you scenes. i should watch this movie high i did it holy god thank god i did it um could you imagine well i my wife walked in i was watching by myself and she walked in when they were doing like the corpse, like eviscerating, when they were like digging through the corpse and like pulling out like just stuff for he's like 
He's alive. I thought Ten he minutes. Assassin, it, yeah. He's that? alive. His eye is like moving all over the place. But yeah, he's not a corpse. He's no, well, he's not a corpse. Blood. But like they're digging him out, and he's like, it's full of blood, and he's full of like Mardi Gras beads and coins and like yeah. machine parts, and like eventually they pull out this thing, and the greatest fucking Jim Henson character ever in those that bird mask and the flowing yeah. robes and the hat like takes this thing and takes it to another thing. It's impossible. There's no plot to this movie. It's impossible to describe. Uh, Alex Cox, the director, like is in this movie as like the last man who is apparently in charge of these guys and their diving bells and this, you know, sending people on, sending these things on these expeditions to find the thing or blow up a thing or do whatever. This whole movie is either reinvent the universe. I guess something. I, I assume their goal is to do what happens in the end. Mario, this movie is fucking crazy. It blew. Like a hole straight through the center of my brain. I don't even know what happens. I don't know anything about it. And I don't even care. It is a sensory, like, fucking experience. And I, every time I turned it on, I was like, like, I went back a little bit. And every time some of these scenes happened, like these, that gorgeous scene with the truck. Remember, like, the second guy? He's on that. The second tr- assassin? The second assassin. He's on that truck and he drives through, like, that war zone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I have no idea why. All that why. second assassin stuff is. Oh is my awesome. god! It's like breathtaking. The score is like it, it's mixed. No. It's mixed in the back, but it's like all right. You know what I mean? It's like everything they're doing I is mean, like is 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 adding this like another layer. And the movie doesn't I, need I more hate, layers. I hate this movie. I will before you get into it. But yeah, like yeah. That Dan will score. Fucking, that's going to be hard to top. It's unbelievable. I, I texted you like. Five, like 10 hours I saw ago, it when like, I was doing yeah. I was just like this this score fucking bops like it's so like I was like oh I'm watching basically a tool music video except like I have a better music with it yeah, yeah. Like, fuck tool yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, take that Maynard um, you bitch he's fine he's drinking drinking wine and making more money than I ever did in tool because tool fans keep paying a lot of money for my wine um, he makes wine now Oh, He's had a vineyard for years. Oh, I hate Tool. I, just, I, don't like yeah. I liked it for a little bit, and then they just got like overly pretentious. After Lateralis, I was kind of out. Um, well, I thought Perfect Circle was better. Well, they had, they had songs. Yeah. And it, Tool stopped writing songs. Yeah. Um, it was just grinding. I, I want to hear why you like this movie. So. I just I like it for all the reasons I just said. I can't even believe it. I can't believe that it's a thing that exists. It's a feature-length movie that is... Like, people keep writing about this thing like, oh, stop motion, like, proof that stop motion packs a punch. It's not even the stop motion thing. It's, like, the visual majesty of, like, the things that he's capturing with the camera. The the camera, so there's a great, I was going to make a juxtaposition when we talked about the Northman. There's a great tracking shot in this where everybody's moving. So those those hair people, remember when you meet the hair people and then the baby talks? Mm-hmm. And then there's a scene where there's the hair people are moving through this kind of like industrial, like basement. The hair people aren't the light brown clay people, right? Because like the, light the ones that constantly get killed, like there's the domino yeah, sequence. Yeah, yeah. Those are the hair people. Yeah, because there's a really up close with the assassin and like a hair person. It's just kind of made of hair. I missed the hair. And thing. then the dinosaur with the huge balls and the huge dick comes and eats the hair guy, and the assassin goes down another level. Into a thing. Oh, I missed. I missed. So I missed. Tra- I missed hair. There's I, a tracking shot. This Mario. movie requires way too oh, much I know, attention. I know. It's, 
And that's one of the reasons I love it. Because that's you pick a reason up all I hate these it. details. There's a tracking shot where all these, after the baby talks, where all these guys are moving through this kind of like, in, you know, it's an industrial thing, but like it's more closed off. There's walls. So they're walking. It's like, the fur, it's like a furnace room. The, kind the, of, the yeah, people, but there's right? no like, there's no necessarily fire there. They're just walking, but it's a tracking shot to the right. Everything's yeah, yeah. moving to the right. And it reminded me a lot of watching The Northman, where like on that first raid, after he scales the wall, the tracking shot moves to the right between like behind yeah, the yeah. houses and you see the things. And I was like, I love this tracking shot. Like this is the tracking shot I want with perky jerky stop motion hair people with this this killer score after a baby has just given a speech in gibberish like walking to their death ostensibly because they've just been getting killed by creating dominoes of monoliths for why who knows but for me and this is all so this i think exemplifies kind of what i'm looking for in movies is that like i just i I just want to feel something and it doesn't even have to make sense to me i just want something to like peel open like my flesh and just start doing weird stuff to me because I feel like I've seen all the movies. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I've seen all the stuff and this what? and like after Yang to a, like a, a certain point because it's just so openly rawly beautiful. So what and peels vortex, your what peels your flesh in this? Just then? just like everything. But like, what's the thing that like? What was like the exacto knife under the like? What was the first moment you got? Where it's like, okay. Um, well, I could say it was the Mad God title card. I could say that it was a Tower of Babel thing. I could say that it was a Leviticus thing because it all seems so real. I could say that it was like the plunge. Leviticus on... The thing that you say about... The thing I love about the Leviticus thing, and you said it's, it kind of feels a stop motion. The thing I love about that is it feels like it's written on a conveyor of flesh. Oh, my God, yeah. I also like the skin thing, but like the, my drawing on skin. My problem with this movie is like I... As a theist who somewhat subscribes to Christian uh, philosophy, like I was really hoping for like a real deep down attack on all that, and it just kind of like doesn't do that. So I get the impression that it still might be, but it's very like it's so surrealist that like you can't even touch it. It just feels it, it's it's nihilist, right? Oh my god! It's, it's in a there's no, I mean, it's, it's, it's no, but it's like, I'm going to be, it's purely nihilist. Sure. Like it's cause it, be, it deals with like the eternal recurrence sort of yeah. thing. I'm going to be honest in this podcast and say that I have literally God, read finally. nothing but Cormac McCarthy books for like two months. So to say that I'm ready for a movie like this, that expounds on the idea through like the techniques that there is nothing Everything is ruined. Even what is living will die painfully and for no reason. That to live is just a stupid idea. Like, in and of itself, to accomplish anything, to get to the mountains of suitcases where you plant your bomb, in and of itself is such a like haphazardly constructed idea that if you fail, you just die at the hands of some thing yeah. to be, like, ripped apart and investigated and have, like, your essence essentially stolen from you and given to something that is just going to, like, turn your essence into, like, 
food or like some other thing. Like the amount of grinding that like goes on in this movie, like 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 the wetness. Remember the shitting scene when all those legs were on the. I mean, this was incredible. I mean, part of me is acknowledging this stuff as like someone who vaguely considers himself to be like an artist or who wants to be an artist, and like just to come, like I just marvel at whatever it was that like. Bill Tippett was doing to kind of construct this because he had to construct it. There's none of this stuff happens accidentally. It's too elaborate. It's too detailed. The, uh, so I think the thing that like did it for me more than anything else overall is it just pulled me into this world and I didn't understand it, but I didn't want to understand. I didn't care if I understood it. I was just there like to behold, that's to witness whatever, this was. And that's my problem with this movie is it has an assumption that you're going to accept the world it creates. Oh, for sure. And if you're not on board with that, like you're just kind of completely on, off board with the movie. Well, I think he would and probably I, I argue that he could, does not care. Yeah, no, for fair. That's completely fair because I'm not the one to say like, this is, this is doing it wrong. Oh, and I'm not I, saying like I, he I hate, shouldn't. Yeah. I hate this fucking movie. But, like, I'm not going to say it's a bad movie. I just, it's not me. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense of, I would say it, it kind of fails as an overall piece of art in the sense of I feel as though a movie that, or a piece of art that's trying to create a thematic precipice or trying to create, trying to say something would lead you to that um when you're talking about Cormac mccarthy like what are you know the coen brothers doing with no country for old men like oh, maybe yeah, yeah. like they're, they're leading you to this uh, is the, they're leading you to a decision and then like they're leading you to a mindset which is ultimately very similar to this movies and you go from there and like well so that's the thing so there's like you know i read the road i literally read the road twice in a row because i didn't want to leave the world of the road which is like a weird thing to say that you don't want to Road, but I think the thing that like Phil Tippett is never gonna do in this movie is put a boy in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the great thing that Cormac McCarthy does is that the man is not like a good man in the eyes of the boy. You know what I mean? The man is making different choices than the boy. No, he's he's trying to he's trying Cormac to protect the boy. But Cormac McCarthy's always putting a current world perspective in his novel. Sure. And it's kind of, yeah, but like even the people that take in the boy at the end. That guy is not nice to him. No. It's flat and plain. Like, listen, if you want to live another second, you have to come with me. But the boy is us. The boy is sure, sure, sure. our modern The great thing, perspective. the thing I appreciate about this movie, and maybe it's like the thing that you push back against, is that there is no boy. No, there's... There's, there's, lit- there's not even a man. There's literally only the fucking marauders that... Like, there's only the people in the house that have are keeping the people in the dungeon. Yeah, you know that's, I mean? that's, that's why I say... That's all that there is in this movie. That's why I'd say, like... And I, part, of me, part of me openly rejects, like, um, Toadvine and the kid and the ex-priest in Blood Meridian. And for my own, like, preservation of sanity, and it's like, this is it. And I think maybe that's what's happening with something like happening where 
I think maybe the more different. I think the more I think, we're going no, actually, the, the more I think about the more I think about happening, the more I think about happening is that, and if I had more time to think about it, is that like I'll get to it because it also doesn't care. Like there is, it is just it's in essence presenting the situation in in with just its brutality, brutality physical, brutality emotional, brutality in the ending that she's moved on from the situation you know what i mean as she should but like it's a cultural brutality mm. viewed from the perspective of like the people that would watch this and say like she is wrong um there is none of that stuff of it there's only that stuff available in mad god he has stripped away all sense of any kind of like righteousness to the point where even like you don't even know what alex cox is doing you don't know if he's doing it. One of those if, long nails. If what he's doing is right, if what he's doing is wrong, if what he's doing is necessary, um, if what he's doing is hurting the possible progression of humanity, if what he's doing is delaying the inevitable complete collapse of whatever exists post yeah. whatever. Um, that that level of nihilism, I think, is where I am in my mind, and this movie expresses that. See, not just uh, not just like intellectually, not just intellectually like a Cormac McCarthy novel, although he's such a good writer that like he does do it viscerally. This is where I was talking about how film I think is still capable of doing some things that other art forms aren't. It's it, for me watching this, it's all visceral. This is a visceral physical manifestation of the idea that everything is completely ruined. Not just it's going to be completely ruined, but is ruined already. Is already fucked. Which is interesting, because I think this is ultimately, which is makes this podcast interesting, is the fact that, like, I guess I'm more of a humanist. Um, and I have that in view of, like, to me, this is, like, such a purely intellectual, theoretical experience for me that I have no connection to it, right? Hmm. And um, other movies, like, On the Count of Three, or Happening, or whatnot, have this, like, inward sort of, like, Something is good. There's some... Yeah, for sure. There's some punchline yep. that breaks through it and I can get it, right? Mm -hmm. And I look at Mad Guy as this kind of like weird art house experience. And I'm, oh. like, I'm like, this is extremely well-crafted in terms of stop-motion animation. This Dan will score, as I said, is like yeah, yeah. the best thing. One of the two best things. Howard Shore is pretty far up there for me, too. Um, for I love what? that Crimes of the Future score. Uh -huh. Um but like all, all of this from a technical perspective is working, but I don't have a through line because like it asks of me something that I am diegetically opposed to, mm. like just does not work for me on any sort of like level. Mm -hmm. Um, I find that interesting because like it is, I guess kind of like the through line for our podcast is like, I lean more towards like the humanist perspective of like people and well i think i i think i i mean you know no, no, nine, i'm not discrediting you no, 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 i'm just saying i'm, I'm just saying I, like i want to think about it out loud like because i think nine days is kind of a rejection of that a little bit it is, um, no, I, think, I would agree like i think i think it's crossover but I think like I nine go, days is like such a big movie for both of us but i think i go both ways right because high life is kind of more what i'm talking about where like there's not a lot left here we've tried to re-propagate like yeah, whatever exactly. And like it's not there. It's dogs, and it's, it's open space, and it's like oblivion, and that's where the but it's kind of it's it's fun. Like, it's fun. Or the things it's fun oh, for sure. us because like 
you love High Life, and I'm like, it's fine. It's good. And, like, you love Mad God, and I'm like, I don't like it. Because, like, I think that's why you would say film is a really important narrative that is still growing, is the fact that, like, but I was, philosophical differences. Sure. Because Mad... You could look at all four of these movies. I would argue that Mad God and High Life share a thing together in that... It, in, Expanding in, wood. And then, yeah. <laughs> that, um... And I think Nine Days kind of shares with this thematically is the idea of the physical. And so I'm really into the idea of the physical. I'm really into the idea of feeling stuff. It's one of the reasons why I'm not super into music anymore is that like I don't the stuff that I'm hearing I don't feel it I'm just hearing it oh so I'm getting you know what I mean? super metaphysical and, um, yeah, yeah. and in film you gotta I'm, smoke more weed my friend nah weed just makes me tired <laughs> um I tried it's just I was like oh this is I'm just I went through a period where I was just like trading burn CDs for like rolled joints and I was like this is all just making me sleepy um it's all about the physical. So with the Tinder Sticks score mixed with the way that Claire Denis will do a movie mixed with, shoot a movie mixed with subject matter, High Life is a very physical movie. Yeah, it's absolutely. blood and cum and black stuff and like weird horse hair whip tail things that when, you know, Juliet Binoche is like on the fucking machine and all this other stuff, it's violence, it's all this other stuff. Nine Days is different, but it's asking, it's asking questions about those things, right? It's, it's positing the idea that life is more than one experience. It's this to- totality of experience that includes um, life is the touch, draw- taste, life, smell, like life all is this the drawn stuff. breath when the tactile experience dies. Because that movie exists for me with Winston Duke's drawn Beth breath when she kills herself. Like that movie exists with that. Cause he's a tactile. No. So that's, he, so I'm approaching me, it from a different perspective yeah. in that he is trying to understand it intellectually. And what, um, Emma is saying is that like some things you can't, and that's, and, and, um, Kane's, you know, Will Sarsgaard's, Bill Sarsgaard's his character is expressing, his idea too that this stuff doesn't need to be dealt with this stuff is can't be it needs to be rationalized it needs to be reasoned and if you're, any reasonable person if you're getting attacked is going to fight back but the drawn breath that Winston Duke has is not intellectual like when she di- like when right. she dies it's not intellectual he, but he's trying to perceive it afterwards as an intellectual exercise but I, I, I think I, I don't I don't think I always he, I see I always thought he doesn't even consider that drawn breath I think he considers like why did I feel sad afterwards yeah but that's not all not the drawn breath but that's but again that's it's, Which, it's, it's the most pretentious discussion I could no say. but that's the intellectual right why do I feel sad yeah he's trying to reason it out and the whole arc of the movie is that like Life necess- does, can't necessarily be reasoned. Life has to be lived and has to be perceived Which in is, those... It has to be perceived on the intellectual and but in the sensual, in which the is, experience. Which is to round it, round it out to Mad God and to go back beyond, on the count of three, back to Barry. Um, this is the best conversation ever. 
in the sense of like, <laughs> I, I feel as though there's like a real tactileness to Mad God that is never trying to emote it. And that's oh, right. Never. And I'm just, I just didn't, I'm not saying it's, it's wrong for doing that. I think it's a perfect movie for what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's a movie I just do not respond to because I'm the most emotional person in the world and I'll cry for everything. I cried at Mad God. Ladies. <laughs> um, but, like, like, that's the thing. It's like, Mad God is so, you know, digging into the clay of what it is to be a person. Whereas, like, compared to, like, something with Barry, like, Barry's very ephoral and blah, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, like, I fucking... Talking about going back to Barry, like ties back to Mad God, is like the second, like in Barry where he's drugged out and um, I forgot the character's name, but the Ryan Ryan Ryan's dad like takes him to the front door of the yard, uh-huh. and yeah, blows yeah. his fucking brains five, out. Yeah, yeah. Like I fucking lost it during that. Like I started crying during that uh-huh. scene. Because I'm like an ephoral guy, like I deal with like the emotions of this, and so like it's it's interesting because I think Mad God's an amazingly well done movie, but I hate it because it's not for me. Because I am an ephoral emotional guy, and there's nothing in Mad God for yeah ever for me. Like like Mad God, I would recommend for people who never cried in a movie. See, but I would argue too that like it, I think it is it does have an emotional core to it and it's not like it's I'm not I'm curious where, where where I think it's, I, so I it's, never gen, it. it's general it's it's like it's an anger you know what I mean it's a hurt it's not anything that I could point to and say like this scene expresses this it's the whole nature of the movie has this pulsing like seething um like pain behind it um, where every mm. nothing feels right, everything's engorged. Like things are being. There's like no release. It's like a right. Building you know what I mean? It's just sort of thing. And, but it's because it's all because maybe this is where the stop motion animation stuff comes in. Even though I've tried to reject the idea that it's just because it's stop motion animation. No, it does. No, there's 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 no. Phil Tippett hasn't because intent. of the way that he makes a character. Everything is like swollen. You know what I mean? Like all those characters are swollen. Uh, like Usually, everything. Yeah. And so, like. Only the Even assassin. the baby looks like a fat anteater that hasn't unleashed the ants it swallowed. So I know, I love it. Um, you know, when those grubs come in and they get like just stabbed in the head with like four huge needles and then they're just kind of like shaking there. Um, even like the landscape, like after you get through like the, the, like the cannon place, like where it looks like the Tower of Babel has turned into a yeah. smokestack full of cannons or like a huge cannon that just cannon. Everything well, it comes from like a Tower of Babel to a Terminator like two sequence. Right. Well, everything is, yeah. but everything even down there seems like, like, exploded, mm-hmm. like from the inside, and so there's juice everywhere, and there's just like stuff, and there's these creatures that definitely don't seem like they belong, but the way that he films it, and like the way that the score works, and the way that like they move, and like the nature of the the context that he puts them in. They also seem like they feel like they don't belong. And so like their death when like those obelisks are just hitting them or they're getting run over stuff is inevitable, but also kind of like a release. It's the way that like, I think people think of like bugs when they kill them sometimes that like 
I don't want you around. I'm going to kill you. You're just a bug. But also, like, I always feel bad. It pops. You know what I mean? It has like a, it has like, it has like a popping sound. There's a tactile like release of that bug being killed. And that I guess I guess I guess part of that as well. Mad God for me felt like, oh my God, I hate to even do this. What what's the um, term for like man as bassist under Freud? Id? Is that Mm, id? One of those. I'm not like I'm not a big Freudian guy. Yeah, no, me either, because fucking the Germans and the Austrians know what the fuck. (laughs) Um that's the thing. I yeah, I I really like this movie in its artistic sense. But like it just be like I I reject movies that like do this like right core thing. And I guess and so I guess to answer your question from like an hour ago, I can't express to you the exact reason why. But when I watch this movie, I feel pain. Like when I watch this movie, I feel like um, uh, existentially like uncomfortable. Um, but also like I understand like viscerally the direction of like the world like a little better like I can see inside of something I think that's maybe that's the best way to see it well, have, you ever, have you ever cried at multiple episodes of How I Met Your Mother no I think How I Met Your Mother is the fucking well, that's probably show. that's probably why I'm <laughs> real softy I love when people tell talk about How I Met Your Mother like it was a different time like Barney is like a rapist and they're just like it's a different time different time and it's like it was fairly recently well people try to do it with a hangover now too it's what too. like the paging Dr. Faggot Scene. Oh, well, yeah, that's garbage. That movie that's just Todd Phillips. Yeah, He's, no, but like, 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 I think that's the big thing of this. I think this. It's gonna I be think, a, a weird so, year. So this then. this year is going to be good for us in the sense of like, I think we're finally maturing as film reviewers. That like, I hate this movie, but I'm like, because of me. But like I, I also look at like all the artistic merit of it. Like I was watching this, going like, "This is so fucking good. I want to stop watching this." Sure. Oh my god. Of course. I get. I totally get that. Even like I said, my wife walked in when they were like, you know, eviscerating the body, and she was like, "What is this?" And I was like, "It's a movie called Mad God. It's stop motion animation." I was like, "Did you want to watch it?" And she's like, "I do not." Yeah, I was watched. I like I watched it. Like I finally got Shudder again. And I was like, Halloween is available to watch on Shudder. I could just watch Halloween well that's again. isn't that the best part about Mad God is that it makes you want to watch like horror movies just to be cleansed of like Mad whatever God, the yeah. fuck is happening in Mad well, God well unfortunately you could watch you can't watch any horror movie because a, have you heard and we're, yeah. round, we're yeah, rounding yeah. out if you are five hours and seven minutes into our podcast at this point it's three hours and 55 minutes take that Claire didn't he rebeat you yeah. um so, have you heard of the movie Terrifier? I feel like it sounds familiar, but I definitely haven't seen it. So, Terrifier was like a big slasher movie of like four years ago. I feel like it, it did. It features... Heard of it. I didn't see yeah, it. it features, I know like, I didn't it see it. It features a really infamous scene of a woman being salt in half by her vagina. It's a shit fucking movie because it suffers from its director being a piece of shit in the sense of he wasn't... It, he's not a piece of shit, but like Obviously, there's problematic things. And so he's directed a sequel that's apparently over two hours. And it's being released exclusively on Screenbox. What the fuck is Screenbox? Well, apparently, Shudder isn't good enough 
to be the only streaming service for horror movies. We need a second horror movie streaming service called Streambox. There, there's no way they can compete. No, no, Shutter, no, no, right? no, 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 no. Shutter's become like a prestige Shutter's just like it. Like yeah. streaming service. Well, Shutter's just like... There's not enough horror movie people to create two streaming services. No, well, the, a lot of people have been talking about the idea recently about like when is Netflix going to like just nut up and like buy Shutter? Because like... Well, they have to buy AMC. Which I think they were, I think the idea is like, why don't they just do that? Well, they should because nobody's buying fucking Netflix shit. Like, Netflix is dying. Well, that's what they're saying. Is like, when is Netflix going to just like stop? Because Amazon, like Amazon, Amazon just... bought MGM. Right. So. Absolutely. And someone's Apple TV is, or somebody's going to buy like AMC, Shutter, whatever. They're just going to yeah. do it because they they have all the content and it's good and they instantly up their subscriber base. Well, what's funny is, like, I think all these subscription services thought, like, hey, we can, like, do this thing where we create their own things and people subscribe to us and they'll spend as much money as they spend on cable. And people were like, yeah, we're going to buy two of those and not do anything else. Yeah. Like, I literally have HBO Max through my AT&T mm-hmm. phone service. Yeah. I have Peacock because Peacock actually has some good movies on their listing. And I have now Shudder. That's it. Yeah. I don't have fucking Apple TV. I don't have... Sure shit don't have Netflix because I don't give a shit about anything Netflix is doing. We have a we have a very robust um, sharing I mean, system going on. is easily so. the best right now. But. Um, so we like we pay for Hulu. We pay oh, and for Hulu. Apple. Yeah, I, I have your Hulu. Yeah. So. You know, you have the Disney Plus, which you oh, can get rid of at Disney any point. And we oh. will... <laughs> if you want to just jump on ours because we have to have no, I I got mine in April, so it's okay. good for me. I'll I'll keep doing, I'll keep you doing Disney. I keep doing Disney Plus. You keep providing Hulu. Okay. We'll be good. Um, you give me you give me my neon fix. I give you your Marvel TV shows you for your kids. Um, they're very grateful. Um, but that's the thing. Like Netflix, we've talked about this before. Netflix now feels like the least consequential. Absolutely. And so, like, when once you, if you're a Stranger Things person, once you stop watching Stranger Things, there's literally nothing to watch. But absolutely, I'm actually, honestly, very convinced on this. I'm to the point where, like, if something good comes out, I will pay the five dollars to watch that good thing. Mm-hmm. I won't pay like the ten dollars to watch that good thing. I will pay like fifteen dollars to watch three good things versus ten dollars to watch like a month of those good things, almost. Because mm-hmm. almost because I want as a I almost want to like say like I support this in particular, not Bridgerton season three. Right. Well, that's why you just subscribe to like the Criterion Channel or something because at least you're saying like I support good. At least I know all these movies are good. Yeah. Or are of a certain quality to be on this like streaming platform. Absolutely. And if you want to listen to quality um, and quantity and quantity. Apparently. <laughs> You can listen to such video games as Sniper Elite 5, Vampire Survivors, Card Shark, Nobody Saves the World, and Elden Ring. That's my top five video games of the first half of the year. Or you can tweet us at Film Pivotal. Or you can go to PivotalFilm.com, where we've got a list of the movies on our Pivotal Film list, which we used to do. Uh, how to subscribe to us with the beers we drank back then. Um, we'll be back in... Two weeks. A couple weeks, because we're going to talk about some Thor. Because in three weeks, I'm in Minneapolis. Minnesota. Right. I might die on the plane route. 
I got so high last night, and I was convinced I was going to die in a plane crash. And I had to convince myself while I was super high that if I died in a plane crash, it meant I was meant to die, and then it was okay. Jesus, Jesus, Mario. It's dark. But it was fun. It was a fun, <laughs> like, 20-minute experience. Um, but yeah, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. We'll talk about some Marvel movies and some Marvel Jeff, content. Jeff will be here. Jeff will be Jeff here. Jeff will talk about, he like, will, Batman. He will describe Real. He will describe Batman because Batman is super well, we'll, important. Yeah, him. we'll open with we'll open with a quick Batman discussion where we will not let Jeff describe the plot of anything. Um. Yeah, we'll immediately be like, <laughs> Jeff, we've already talked about the plot of Batman. What do you just think what do you Batman? think about Batman? He might talk about Moon Knight and everyone's just be like, I fucking gave up on that show. We and to close out, we watched Moon Knight and like after it was over, we we're just kind of like, huh. Huh. And then like my son has watched the last couple episodes like a couple of times, and, but he always turns it off after a certain point. And I'm just like, oh, why do you turn it off that? He's like, it's boring. The rest is boring. And so he just like wants to watch the clips. And I was like, that's called a movie. Putting all the clips of this six-hour show that you watched like into like a one-and-a-half to two-hour thing is a movie. Our, our dead meat. Like, just make a movie. <laughs> do all the, the shit with... Like... Stranger Things and just put it into like a 30 minute thing and make it oh, Stranger, Stranger Things is fucking exhausting. garbage. By the way, Barry's the best thing that happened on media this year. Yeah, Barry is a. Uh, talk to you in two weeks. Drink a beer? Watch or a movie? Barry. Or, bear, or a TV show? Peacemaker was also really good. I'll talk to you.